following podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. In addition, this particular episode heavily discusses teenage sex trafficking and kidnapping, but does not depict any scenes of actual sexual assault. Listener's discretion is still advised. And remember, listeners, the dreamiest thing you can do is listen to your own needs. Welcome back to the Three Little Words podcast, where we read and rank your favorite romance novels. I'm Nicole, and today I'm joined by not Claudia. <gasps> no, not at all. Oh. <laughs> so I'm Susan. I am Claudia's younger sister. I'm 15. I use she, her pronouns. We're in the same system. I do amateur photography and play Magic Gathering. I have not been on a podcast before, except for the intro of the hyperfixation episode that Claudia was on. Um, one of the main characters of this book is 15, so I thought, since I read most of this book, that I should uh, talk about it. I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on this. So let's read the summary. Oh, well, just to preface, this is the long-awaited sequel to Mountain Retreat Murder, in which there was no murder, but mm-hmm. we went over that in the last episode. <laughs> Highly recommend. So today, we will be discussing Kidnapping in Cameron Glen, Cameron Glen Book 2, by Beth Cornelison, working together to save their child before it's too late. Jake and Emma Turner's marriage is in ruins. Their latest shouting match has driven their teenage daughter to run away from home. But when evidence surfaces that she's been kidnapped by human traffickers, the couple must set aside their conflicts to save their child. With time running out, can the pair's desperation bring them together? Now and forever? Ooh. What'd you think of the book? Okay. So, Beth Cornelison, a much better thriller and, like, suspense writer than romance... Mm-hmm. I didn't hate it, but also like books and movies and stuff about sex crimes are just like the worst possible thing, in my opinion. Like I'm like, I would rather somebody get like slaughtered than me have to like read or like watch anything to do with sex crimes, especially because she's like a child. Yeah, I thought this book was really tasteless and exploitative, to be yeah. honest. Like, it certainly held our attention better than Mountain Retreat Murder. That's for sure, yes. Mountain Retreat Murder may not have had a murder, but kidnapping in Cameron Glen, oh boy, did it have a kidnapping, all right. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I was curious as to what direction this would go in, like, when I just got the book, because I don't read the back of the book. I try not to, because I want to go in, I want to go in pure, untainted. (laughs) You want to go in virginal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The second she was kidnapped... Because I'm like stupid. I was like, oh, like, why is she being kidnapped by like these children? Because as we'll learn, like one of the characters isn't that much older than she is, seemingly, you know? So I was like, what's going on? And then I was like, oh, human trafficking. Great. It's just, you can tell it was very uninformed. Yes. I have a lot of feelings on this. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's just so much. Let me start off by saying I also read most of Roses and Rain for Claudia, and then she oh, did yeah. the book report for me. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time that Susan Alexandrite read most of a book about teenage human sex trafficking, I'd oh. have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's really weird that it happened twice, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Roses and Rain was another one. This one, I feel, was like definitely far more tasteless. Yeah, this one was also better. I thought Roses and Rain was really boring when yeah. I read it. I thought it was boring and stupid and tasteless. Not <laughs> not tasteless, even. I thought it was just boring and stupid and not really like about anything. Yeah. The plot just sort of happens at the end. Yeah. This one, at least, like you said before, like definitely held my attention more than Mountain Retreat Murder. There was more happening all the time, and so mm-hmm. I think it made it easier to get through despite the subject matter. There were actual characters in this book. That was something I wanted to point out, where I feel like a Mountain Retreat Murder, like our characters were just nothing characters. They mm-hmm. had zero substance to them. And in here, like we actually saw jake and emma's relationship and personalities i mean i have highlighted at one point jake keeping his father's hard hat in his office as a reminder of like his roots and how hard his father worked and then jake essentially you know trying to be trying to provide for his family more than his father ever did mm-hmm. and it's like that little character thing i like really appreciated we didn't see any of that shit in mountain retreat murder it almost feels like Beth Cornelison wanted to write Kidnapping Cameron Glenn, but she wanted like some some background for it. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted you to know like the family better before you get into this. That or it's like Mountain Retreat Murder was her in. Yeah, that's true. I mean, not that she needs an in with Harlequin. This is her like 30th Harlequin book. I, oh my gosh. But I remember in Mountain Retreat Murder, Matt was writing his book and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to read this book within a book. Like, if you want to write a story, just write a fucking story, you know, mm-hmm. that was all like suspense thriller. That was the book within the book. And so I was like, clearly you had that itch you needed to scratch. And I think she did it with this book. I'm not sure it was fully scratched. Oh, definitely not. But like a little bit. Can I tell you what the third book is about? Oh my that god. That just came out recently? Please enlighten me. I wasn't I didn't know there was a third. Do you remember how you and Claudia, when you saw the kidnapping Cameron Glenn after Mountain Retreat murder, you were like, what is going on in this town? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um further evidence that this town is uh to put it impolitely, a shithole. <laughs> the third book is about a serial killer. Oh my god. Yeah. Now, is it actually a serial killer or are we going to be lied to like we were in the first book? I don't know. We very much were not lied to in this book. So. Oh, yeah. No, that this was. Yep. I have a feeling that Beth actually has a serial killer in that book. Dead dove do not eat. It's like, oh, what did we expect? <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> we're not lied to this time. Well, I mm. guess a little bit because the kidnapping didn't exactly take place in Cameron Glen. It took that is true. place in... Valley Haven. I was like, it's not Hudson Valley, but that's where my brain <laughs> No, went. it didn't take place in upstate New York. So without further ado, let's get into it. So chapter one, we start off with getting a glimpse into our two main characters' marriage, which isn't going so great. So Jake and Emma Turner are part of the, the Cameron clan. 
in Mountain Retreat Murder, we were also kind of given a glimpse into their marital situation. And we knew even back then that things were kind of tense, but also for very good reason, because in the first book, I mean... Jake's business was, you know, in the middle of some nonsense. There was like some embezzlement from a a longtime employee and Jake was framed for it kind of or was accused for it and was even like taken into questioning and like all this other stuff. So shit's been tense since that whole debacle. Jake obviously had to um, fire the person who stole all the money from the company, which, if I remember correctly, was really not that much, but still. It was $7,493. Oh, my God. But still, like, don't embezzle, I guess. Fine. Oh, fine. <laughs> my favorite white-collar crime, but you know. <laughs> and so because he had to let that person go, who was essentially his right-hand man, he's been working very long hours and that has not gone unnoticed by his family. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been around to tuck his children into bed, his children being so his children being Lexi, who's four, and Fen, who is 15, 16 at this 16, I think, at this point. She is 15. Okay, 15. 15 year old Fen. Okay, yes. Shit's kind of rough, and Emma's kind of had it. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, too, because, I mean, I feel like both of them are pretty justified in their feelings. They just, like, suck at communicating until, like, the last chapter. It's a pretty reasonable marital strife, to be honest. I was really surprised about that. I was, too, because, I mean, the miscommunication trope, I feel, is something that could have, like, really been abused in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which would have pissed me off. Well, I mean, like, there was, like, some... I feel like there's more of a lack of communication than there was a miscommunication. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could have been a lot worse. Like, if they could have given some really stupid reasons, I feel. Yeah. I, w- I found myself siding with both of them because I was like, both of you are perfectly justified in how you're feeling. You just need to find a way to, like, communicate that more effectively. Yeah. I also, I gotta give my first constructive criticism to Beth Cornelison. Beth, I'm going to... Take your manuscript and write in big red letters, show, don't tell. Oh, yeah. Because especially in the the first couple of chapters, it is all telling. Mm -hmm. As much as she hated to get into it with Jake for the zillionth time, Emma was fed up. More and more often, he was absent from family time. He'd come home late three of seven nights at first, then four, then five weekends. This was the fourth straight night this week that he'd missed dinner and Lexi's bedtime. The girls deserved better. She deserved better. But beyond being absent from their home, Jake had been absent from their marriage for months, had turned off communication with her, shut her out, walled himself off. No matter how many times Emma tried to reach him, exhort him, break through, he moved farther away emotionally, physically. She was tired of the limbo. That's a lot. You could have shown me that through dialogue, through actions. And this is not a short book. This is a 279-page book. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't even like thinking about just like technical stuff, I'll say. I was just like kind of just focused on getting through the plot. <laughs> yeah, I'll say my two biggest notes for Beth are that and what was true in Mountain Retreat Murder is still true here. Beth repeats herself all the time. Oh all my time. God, yes. That's yeah, actually that, that did not go unnoticed. That's for sure. About half of the conversations that happen in this book are the same conversation over and over again, especially the I liked some of the communication with the relationship, 
Mm-hmm. But some of it was just a retread over and over again. Yeah, I noticed that too, where it's like, again, like, I feel they were both perfectly justified in feeling how they were feeling. But wow, oh, wow, did that really get hammered into our brains over the course of the book? Like, Jesus Christ, I got it after the first time. And mm-hmm. like, all right, do it a second time for emphasis. But I mean, almost every single one of their interactions is them arguing about this and then like their internal dialogue is also like oh i'm gonna contain myself otherwise i would say something like you would have noticed this if you had been around or whatever yeah the other thing is that i don't know why beth cornelson thinks that she's writing serialized fiction because a lot of chapters will open with a summary of like what we just saw Mm -hmm. and it's like that's the sort of stuff you see when you're on the fifth chapter of a fan fiction that updates once a week or whatever. Oh my god. God, I wish. (laughs) I've been updated mine in like four months. (laughs) (laughs) There are just so many times where it's like, it just keeps going over the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of drives me nuts. You could have probably taken 100 pages out of this book. Honestly, yeah. Again, I do feel like it was easier to get through this one than Mountain Retreat Murder because it was so, like, action-packed. Like, there was always stuff happening. Yeah, it flowed very well. Yeah, it just, it didn't need to flow that long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Shorter river. Mm Mm-hmm. So Jake gets home at 11 p.m. And Emma's there waiting for him in the dark and turns on the light, like, click, click. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Jake, I've been expecting you. (laughs) And she essentially accuses him of not just staying in the office too long, but pretty much doing it on purpose to avoid having to come home and having to see her and like the kids, which I don't know if he admits this to her right off the bat, but he internally is at least like, well, I don't want to have to hear your bitching. So like, I kind of don't want to be home when you're awake. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So essentially like, his side of the whole thing is, I mean, he's got, you know, some some issues. When he was a kid, his his entire family was very poor. Like, there were days where he'd have to go without eating or, you know, one of his parents would have to, like, forsake their own meals and stuff so that he and I think his siblings, I don't remember if he had siblings, could eat. And his dad was busting his ass working in construction and told him like, hey, go to school, get a good job and be able to provide for your family like I have unfortunately like not been able to do for you. But then with Emma getting pregnant their senior year of high school, he wasn't able to go to school and instead built his business essentially from the ground up. Pun not intended because it is a construction (laughs) company. (laughs) And so I understand that. I understand not wanting to feel that financial instability i mean it's tough i my family we've we've been there a couple of times you Mm -hmm. know not to that extent but like we've had our struggles and like i know my dad grew up dirt poor i mean like didn't have a shower dirt poor dirt poor literally (laughs) (laughs) played with rocks literal dirt so like i understand why he's fighting so hard to keep his business running He feels that if he is unable to financially provide for his family, he has failed them and isn't taking into account that that is not the only kind of support his family needs. And so Emma is seeing this from the more like emotional side where he isn't around to 
you know, tuck Lexi into bed or to even like talk to Fed and see how she's doing. Later on, he he recalls that he can't remember the last time he had had a conversation with her or that he hadn't gone swimming with his daughter since like last summer. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't really been present well, period, but also, but specifically like emotionally. And so that's Emma's gripe. That's, that's her side of the argument here. Yeah. And so in an effort to make Jake listen, Emma files for divorce. Yeah. As a like, hey, let's talk about it kind of thing. Yeah. Like, well, he could just threaten that and not put in the paperwork. Especially because he doesn't actually ever see the paperwork. So she could have just been like, bullshitting him the whole time instead of actually moving forward with that yeah exactly and the only reason we know that she's not bullshitting is because in her in her internal monologue she talks about how she did definitely (laughs) get a lawyer and file paperwork (laughs) (laughs) and jake is livid about that Mm -hmm. he starts you know stomping around the house slamming doors yelling and emma is like can you please not wake up our four and 15 year olds and he's like, I do all of this because of because of Lexi and Fen. Also, he literally says at one point, like, it's my house. I'll yell if I want to. And it's like, all right, you fucking child. Like, your relax. house, your rules, not the asshole. <laughs> he pays the bills so he can yell. God. Oh, my cat, a fucking freeloader. Not allowed to <laughs> yell. <laughs> yeah. No, he's being cute. <laughs> Mine clawed my hand. I got a scratch on here now. He was being a rat. (laughs) (laughs) So in short, Emma kicks Jake out of the house. She has packed a duffel bag for him. And she's like, you don't have to go anywhere specific, but you can't stay here. He takes his bag and he's like, fine, whatever. And goes like next door to stay at her brother's house. Because everyone lives on the same fucking street. Yeah. In the little Cameron Glenn complex. Yeah. I I was wondering if we were going to have like a Matt and Kate cameo in here and like they're they're barely mentioned. What's funny is that Kate is mentioned and I don't think Matt is at all. They mention Kate and Matt's wedding and that's like the only time they actually say his name. I'm pretty sure I they, they mention his name. I think Max two times and that is not an exaggeration. Yeah. If, if it's three, I think that's pushing it. I think it's two. I'm counting three times. Oh, and see? one of those is saying Matt's son, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really about Matt. It's about Eric. Yeah. So yeah, so like it, it, it's so funny. So I was wondering if he was going to stay with Matt and Kate just to be like, haha, like from the first book, remember? Lore. But no, he goes to stay with what's his name? Bentley Bradley. Bartholomew Brody Brody that sounds right yeah (laughs) I think it's Brody (laughs) hang on I'll type in bro (laughs) yeah Brody okay (laughs) yeah so he just crashes on Brody's couch Brody has to get up for work at like 5 a.m. I think it was 4 a.m. poor bastard I would die (laughs) ask him to stay up till 4 a.m. all right ask me to wake up at 4 a.m. I would rather chop off my leg (laughs) like no thank you (laughs) let's see also i just i don't know why this like tickled me but jake drives a ford f-150 and i just thought of all like the ford f-150 means anyway i was like haha meanwhile fen 
is in her bedroom and she's woken up because some asshole in this house is stomping around and slamming doors and uh, yelling. He's not an asshole. It's his house, so he oh, can sorry, yell if he wants to. <laughs> some guy. <laughs> OP is, is slamming doors around his house that he owns. <laughs> Therefore not the asshole. <laughs> Therefore not the asshole. So Fen is, is upstairs and she wakes up and hears fighting and she's like, oh, this sucks. I hope Lexi doesn't wake up because I'm going to have to comfort her again like I do all the time, which, oh boy, I'm a child of divorce. I remember this. That's why I was like very curious and like I really wanted to hear your take on this book because I was like, ooh, as a child of divorce, like how how true does this ring? I mean, my parents have argued, but never it never gotten it had never gotten to like divorce conversations. So one thing that rang incredibly true is this line. She'd had enough of the tension in the house when there was no yelling. It was like waiting for a bomb to go off. I remember very distinctly being up at a time at night. I have no idea when. And all of a sudden the house would just explode into screaming. Ugh. It was deeply traumatic. So there we go. Thanks, Beth. Love that. The other half of is this realistic? I, I think Jake and Emma wouldn't have made it. <laughs> if oh. if Fen hadn't been kidnapped, I don't think they would have made it. It just reminds me of there's there are countless stories out there where a couple will like be facing a difficult or like a rough patch in their relationship. And then something totally out of the blue and traumatic will happen to one of them. And that brings them together again because they, one needs to emotionally support the other. Yeah. So this is that, but like dialed up to an 11 because it includes fucking human trafficking. Yeah. Which is rigid. I'm still like, huh? It's crazy. Like shit, do it for like a ransom or something. You don't have to go down this route. I mean, we'll get into it later, but I think they're, they're getting more money from the trafficking than they would from a ransom. Well, true, but it's like, damn, you didn't have to do that bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Fen. She overhears her dad shouting, doing this because of Fen. Sick of coming home, no more. Girls are the only reason. I am out. And then the door slammed and the truck like pulls out of the driveway. The Ford F-150 revs up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fen is like, are they fighting because of me? No. On one hand, this is the stupidest misunderstanding inciting incident of all time. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I feel like Fen might have some insecurities deep down about like, are my parents only together because my dad knocked my mom up in senior year of high school mm -hmm. when they were 18, just to be clear. Yeah. And I mean, that, yeah, that's why it's like, you know, part of it, I'm like, girl, you're being ridiculous, but also you're mm -hmm. 15 and I don't remember what it's like to be 15. So I can't really judge, I feel. But yeah, definitely the whole thing where she thinks that her parents might resent her, I feel is like, I mean, that's not the case and nobody should feel like that's the case, but I feel like it's a valid concern, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like that has more of a, like a backing than, than anything else. I agree. So then Fen goes down into the kitchen and her mom is like sitting on the floor and crying. She's like, is everything okay? And her mom's like... I don't know. Everything's going to be fine. Sounding the least convincing ever. Fen says, like, did dad leave just for the night or forever? And her mom's like, I don't know. 
which is also not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> even if it is the truth. She says, your dad and I just need some time apart to no. Need some time apart was adult code for divorce, which it, it is. For giving up. Pain slashing in her chest, Fen shoved out of her mother's arms and jumped to her feet. How do you expect to fix this if you split up? Lexi needs both of you here. She's so little. She doesn't understand. How can you do this to her? To me was what she wanted to yell, but she already felt guilty about what she'd overheard. If her parents separating was in any way her fault, she had no right to ask them for anything. Emma says, honey, I'm sorry. I know this is hard for... And then Fen tells her to fuck off. And... <laughs> I assume that's what she said. Fen shouted a curse at her mother that would normally get her at least a week of restriction. And she storms back off to her room. There, she decides, I'm going to run away. Everyone is better off without me. Aww. Yeah. She pulls a, a my brother at five years old and uh, wraps, <laughs> <laughs> wraps up his, his treasures in a little handkerchief and ties it on a stick and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> she takes her backpack and she grabs a few things. She most notably does not take her phone because she says that one of her friends said that even if you don't have like a tracking app on your phone, your phone can still be tracked by your parents if they know how to do it. So she's like, I don't want anyone to find me. And then she sneaks downstairs and she's like, Mom would probably want me to have money. <laughs> and to like to be okay. So I'm going to steal her debit card, which definitely can't be traced. No, not at all. That's not how not money works. No, <laughs> you just no way. The machine just gives it to you. It doesn't yeah. come from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you mean that's not how my line of credit works? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> God, I'm in so much debt. <laughs> Goodness. And then she she puts some clothes in her bed and throws a blanket over it and then takes her bike and bikes away. Oh, my God. The drama. The drama. She's like, goodbye forever, everyone. I love the, the, you. <laughs> me when I leave for five minutes. Goodbye forever. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to, to Jake in his office the next day. He's tired as balls because he hadn't slept and whatever. This isn't really important, but I did like this just, I mean... We mentioned this earlier, but I really do like that we actually have characters this time. Mm -hmm. So he was thinking about like what Brody said, because Brody had suggested or no, this is actually at Brody's house. I lied, not at the office. Mm -hmm. But Brody suggested like, hey, have you guys considered seeing a counselor? And we have this like little moment where Jake winces internally because seeing a shrink was tantamount to admitting he and Emma had real problems that they couldn't solve by themselves, that he'd failed, that he had lost control of his life. And so it's like, damn, because like, that is how a lot of people feel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, one more thing about Fen running away. One thing that she does bring instead of her phone, she dug in a drawer for her mom's old iPad and jammed it down a front pocket of the backpack. At least she could still have tunes. Which priorities... I think it's so funny that an iPod is something that, like, you know, people's parents have in a drawer now. This ancient relic. <laughs> but also, was it charged? Probably not. Probably not. But oh. I don't know, maybe it's something that she keeps charged just in case she needs to run away. I saw this 
tweet a million years ago. And it was like, all right, your wife's been kidnapped and you have to drive to like go rescue her. Do you or do you not put on music? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's like, yes, obviously. I don't drive without music. But it just got me thinking about this where it's like, you know, you know, fuck my phone and whatever. But I need at least my music. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you're so valid. <laughs> Do you think it just has, like, mom music on there? Oh, my God. It's got, like... like Nora Jones. Cheryl Crow. <laughs> Third Eye Blind. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben biking, biking in North Carolina to, to uh, Kiss Me by... <laughs> Uh, six pence three, none the richer. Six pence none the richer. That's it. I was thinking three pence none the wiser. Oh. <laughs> Close. I, that was like my favorite song when I was like six or something. Fucking loved that song. Good song. And let me tell you, Nicole, when I went dormant for twelve years or whatever, the like newest and coolest thing was like the iPod Nano. Oh my god. <laughs> It's only been like four years next month since I woke up and it's still kind of astonishing to me that I'm like, I can have literally any song I want in the entire world. Like I can pull up the hit classic from the 1920s, My Girl's Pussy and listen to that whenever. <laughs> well, one pet I like to pet and every evening we get set. I stroke it every chance I get. It's my girl's pussy. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also I have one of the many weirdly phrased lines in this book. When Fen is running away, she looks back at her home. Quelling the kick of ill ease, Fen opened her mom's purse. Oh, sorry, this is when she's stealing her mom's credit card. But quelling the kick of ill ease. It's very lyrical, but also I I feel if somebody said that to me, I couldn't process what they were saying. (laughs) I'd be like, excuse me? Okay, so we can move ahead to the quickie mart then. Yes. Or the the stop and shop, but not the grocery store. Yeah, not that stop and shop. Does Beth Cornelison know about stop and shop? Well, here's the thing, because this is, this takes place in North Carolina. Yeah. I don't know how far south down or how far down south this goes, but I know in Maryland, for example, stop and shop is actually called giant. It's not stop and shop. Like literally the same owners and everything. It's the same logo, if I recall, but it's just it's called Giant. Huh. There is a stop and shop, but it's a convenience store there. That makes sense, because when they said stop and shop and it was a convenience and they were describing the layout, I was like, what the fuck kind of stop and shop is this? Like, I'm I'm thinking of the supermarket. Yeah, we Yankees up here are like, <laughs> she's going to the grocery store. Yeah, and I'm like, girl, what are you doing? I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but I know at least in my area, the, the bank within Stop and Shop is a citizen's bank. And so I was like, oh, that's what, she, that's what she's using. That like sounds the, right. The thing inside the store. But then I was like, but then for spoilers, because we're going to get there in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. For the magenta-haired girl to be stealing condoms and Tylenol, I was like, damn, like, she'd have to go into the aisles for that. Yeah. People wouldn't notice, I feel. But anyway, makes sense that it's not actually a supermarket. It's a convenience store. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. Weird coincidence. Yeah. (laughs) So we cut to Fen, and her plan is to, like, bike to the train station or bus station or something and depart with the commuters and stuff. Uh, but before then, she needs to get some some cash. So she bikes over to like the, the little stop and shop 
quickie mart convenience store and uses the ATM outside. And there's this guy kind of just like standing off to the side. He's described as a shifty looking guy in sagging khakis and a ratty gray t-shirt leaning against the outside wall of the convenience store, a cigarette pinched between his lips. But it wasn't anything about his clothes or smoking habit that made him shifty in Fenn's book. It was the less than subtle way he watched her. He made her neck itch and her pulse scamper. He didn't approach her, but when she looked his way, making sure he was keeping his distance, he winked at her and flashed a leering smile. Which, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I hate when people look at me when I'm in public, <laughs> but especially men. I'm like, ugh. How dare you perceive me? How how dare you? <laughs> if I wanted to be perceived, my titties would be out. Like, do not look at me. <laughs> so yeah, gross. So she takes out like $250, goes inside and is like, oh, you know, my options here aren't so great. So she buys like a prepackaged ham and cheese sandwich or something really gross. So she's like walking the aisles and she hears a bit of a, a little altercation at the front of the store where the manager or like the woman working the 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 register tells this girl with bright magenta hair that she saw her stealing the girl empties her pockets per the lady's request and she's like oh my god like stop like you know don't call the cops i'll give you all the money i have which ends up being only three (laughs) dollars so fen being a very good person says hey she's with me like sorry about the misunderstanding i'm paying for for her stuff and ends up paying the the lady saving this girl's balls she's taking some tylenol and some condoms and oh and jerky (laughs) yeah tylenol jerky and condoms which sounds like you're in for a good time yeah all the essentials are there oh well so the girl thanks her and uh they go outside Fen, when she sees that she had she had purchased condoms for this girl, <laughs> she thinks to herself, a funny little tickle wiggled in her belly. She just purchased condoms. Condoms! Even if they weren't hers, it gave her a feeling of being mature and sophisticated. And I thought that was kind of cute and funny. She's very cute. I like Fen a lot. Me too. I think she's a, a spitfire and she's cute and I like her. Yeah. No, she, she's fun. I mean, she was definitely one of, I was going to say my favorite characters in the last book, but she was one of the only characters in the <laughs> last book. <laughs> I'll say I was re-listening to the episode and I skimmed through the first book just to like get a kind of feel for this one. Mm-hmm. Fen isn't really much of a character in the first book. Well, neither is everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I think in this book, seeing how she is here really makes me understand why she and Eric were such a good match. Yeah. Oh, but then they had to fucking break up because his dad wanted to bone her aunt. And then yeah. it was like, oh, my God, that's like kind of weird. And, you know, I want I want you to be happy, dad. <laughs> Thank up. you for your service, daddy. So yeah, so she she goes outside and and so the magenta haired girl approaches a vehicle where we see the the shifty eyed guy from earlier, uh, some other dude in the passenger seat and then another girl in the car. So magenta walks up to them. Some words are exchanged and she goes back up to Fen and she says, hey, and hands her like a 20. She's like, here's your money back. You know, thanks for covering me back there. But she doesn't actually hand it to her. She stands at the opposite end of the parking lot. And holds it out like she's pretty close to the car and she's like, come here and get it. You could not pay me. You can't trick me. 
I sometimes I wonder. It's like, okay, do people like? I mean, this isn't the case for everyone. I know, but I'm thinking in this situation. I'm like, does she just lack common sense, or is it that I've watched too many episodes of Forensic Files during my formative years that I just suspect every one of everything? <laughs> I think that Fen lives in a small town and probably wasn't mm. educated as well on the idea of stranger danger, regardless of how valuable that information actually is. That's true. And I'm remembering that Cameron Glenn was so great until like all these fucking crimes started happening uh, and they <laughs> didn't even lock their doors. So mm-hmm. she was just naive. Yeah. Poor thing. And I, I feel like when she like holds out the money, she feels like weird, like something is off, but she kind of like needs that couple of dollars yeah but it's like girl just take some more out from the atm it's fine <laughs> just steal from your mom more you already took out like 200 bucks yeah like what's what's you know 20 bucks more it's fine yeah it even says here fen hesitated a weird prickle on her neck she knew pretty soon she'd need the 12 bucks she spent on magenta which also condoms jerky and tylenol for 12 bucks pretty good deal mm. but why wasn't the girl bringing it to her Narrowing a suspicious glare on the other girl, Fen crossed the pavement and reached for the money. At the same time her hand closed around the bills, Magenta's other hand closed around Fen's wrists. Come here a minute, I want you to meet my friends. And Fen's like, no, 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 like, let go. I want to, like, don't, I don't want to. And then the shifty-eyed guy was there, moved behind Fen and wrapped his arms around her in a way that penned her arms. Penned? Pinned her arms to the side. There's a typo. Yeah, penned her arms to the side. He lifted her as the sedan darted forward and they shove her in the car and then he just fucking punches her in the face and knocks her out. Mm-hmm. The end. The end. So oh what do you think of the book? I think it's interesting that if Fedden hadn't stuck her neck out for this girl and she had just let her get arrested and was like, well, it's none of my business. Everything probably would have been okay. Because like... You know that girl gets down to the police station. She's like, hi, I've been kidnapped. Like, help. (laughs) Girl, help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's what you get for being a good person. Mm -hmm. No good deed goes unpunished. I was just about to say that. (laughs) In the words of Elphaba. (laughs) Yeah, so this... My dear listeners, is your lesson to never give money to anyone ever. Don't do anyone any favors. Don't mm-hmm. be a good person. Mm-hmm. It's every bitch for themselves out there. So, what can you do? It's a dog eat dog world, my friends. Why are doggy dogs out there? It's just. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, she's been kidnapped. So, there's actually a kidnapping in this book. I was surprised because Claudia's bet in the last episode was that Fen made it seem like she had been kidnapped so that her parents didn't know where she went when she ran away. That's what I that's where I thought this book was going at first. And then when once they mentioned the shifty guy, I said, oh, nope, she's going to actually mm-hmm. get kidnapped. Yeah. OK, so cut back to the, the Turner residence. It's like morning time and it's a Saturday. And so Fen doesn't wake up at her usual time, 
But Emma is thinking, okay, well, she was awake to hear me and Jake argue. And then she probably didn't get to sleep after that. So she's probably super tired. Also, it's the weekend. So I'm just going to let her sleep. Fan had the foresight to stuff a bunch of clothes and stuff under her sheets to make it look like there was a body underneath. And so Emma briefly checks in on her at one point and just sees this lump on her bed and says, oh, okay, like she's just sleeping. I'll let her sleep. But then it's like 1 p.m., and she's like, okay, well, like, this is kind of ridiculous now, you know, where she's like, I understand that she might be tired, but, you know, she keeps sleeping. She's going to fuck up her sleep schedule. And so she's like, let me go check on her. And so she like knocks on the door and says, hey, Fen, honey, goes in. And now in like the noontime daylight, she notices that the shape and the sheets like look kind of weird. And then she discovers that Fen isn't in her bed. It's just a bunch of blankets <gasps> to draw. Oh, no. And so she, she like looks around the house and she calls around. She asks Lexi, has anyone seen Fen? And she tries to call Jake and Jake just has his secretary answer for him. And nobody knows where Fen is. And so Emma starts to panic, but she hasn't called the police quite yet because she doesn't want to admit that Fen could be like gone. Also, I do feel like at one point she thinks it's too soon Mm-hmm. Where, because I know it's usually, I mean, I, I don't know if it's different in cases of in the case of minors, but I know you as an adult, it's like you know, unless twenty four hours have gone by, you can't really report someone is missing. That's actually not true. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. As soon as you notice that somebody is missing, you should actually, well, not that the police are really undoing anything, but you should like report it. Spoiler alert for later on in the book: the police are absolutely fucking useless. I find it funny how useless Beth Cornelison seems to rightfully believe the police are. Me too, especially because, I mean, given the tone of the last book, I thought she was going to be like doing some police bootlicking. I mean, in the last book, she didn't, she hated the police too, because like the police show up after Kate is held at knife point and is like, well, let us know if you see him. That's true. I was just thinking like people in uniform that have yeah. some kind of authority. Uh, I was generalizing them. My apologies. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I was like pleasantly surprised by how fucking useless they were and how often we were reminded of how useless they were. Yeah, I think there's some something to be said about the tropes where like the police need to be useless in a vigilante story because otherwise there's no reason to be a vigilante. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of true. Little bit. And like they they mentioned multiple times, like all the red tape and like the bureaucracy. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that fucking wastes a whole bunch of time. Your daughter's being human trafficked and you're asking me to fill out paperwork. The fuck? (laughs) Also, we get a we get kids these days because Emma tries to call Fen and immediately notices that it's ringing in her room. So she doesn't have her phone. And when she mentions this to Jake, whenever she eventually gets a hold of him um jake thinks to himself they teased fen about her phone being a barnacle that was growing on her hand she always had it with her and it's like kids these days am i right yeah well also i thought it was funny that she had a ringtone so <laughs> yeah, i'm like, I'm like she's, she's gen z what's she doing with a ringtone <laughs> exactly she was born in like she's 15 so she was born in like 2008 oh my god what was I in 2008? I was 14? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 2008 was the last time I was 15. Oh my god. <laughs> like in body. 
crazy. Oh, there's there's another point. Beth Cornelison seems to not like technology all that much. Because <laughs> at the very beginning of the book, we find out that Emma, at some point in the evening, turns off the Wi-Fi for the night. Like, every night. The most draconian of, of all punishments. Oh my god. Not even a punishment of all routines. Like, why? It's because you'd be on that phone. Oh my god, it's true. And I, only, I, I don't have unlimited data. <laughs> Ugh, tragic. I can't look at my memes. I can't watch my TikToks. Oh man, do you think that Fen makes TikToks? She got one right before she got kidnapped. It's like, oh wait, <laughs> story time. <laughs> uh, put a finger down if you've ever been human trafficked before. <laughs> no. TikTok really do be like that though. Yeah. It's true. Put a finger down if one time your parents were arguing and you thought that they were going to get a divorce and it was all your fault. So you decided to run away and then some weirdo at the uh, convenience store is looking at you weird. Uh, and then you save a girl from getting arrested because she was shoplifting. Uh, and then you get kidnapped and then you're human trafficked. Uh, and then uh, insert the rest of the plot of the book here. I don't want to spoil it quite yet. And then she puts yeah. a finger down. It's a three minute long TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so Emma and Jake meet up at the house after Emma has already come, called the police. Like Jake comes home and he says, I came as soon as I heard. Emma scoffed and you'd have heard hours ago if you'd bothered to take my calls or answer my texts. But in typical Jake fashion, you shut me out and we've lost precious time in finding our daughter. And I have to ask, is now really the time? That is how I felt for most of their conversations after this until oh my god spoiler alert uh fen gets rescued because it's i mean it's like not necessarily shifting the blame each time but it's more like well if you weren't here or if you were here this would have blah 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 this would have been different blah 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 and it's just like now is not the time my friends yeah. focus on finding your daughter and then deal with your bullshit two seconds later emma outright says this is your fault, you know. To which her mother says, Emma, what? Calm down. She's like, don't say that shit. Yeah. Casting blame is cruel and completely unproductive. We need to come together, work together to find Fen. <laughs> Crazy. So the cops are like, we'll do our best. Uh, the best thing that you can do right now personally is like put up flyers, start calling people. Um, he says to call, call neighbors, call her friends, parents, call church acquaintances and teachers. And as a Jew and as somebody who <laughs> even apart from that is not like a religious center going person, I find it funny in a way how casually the idea is brought up. Like, of course, you have church acquaintances that like know her and her schedule, maybe like I, I feel like up here in the godless north, they wouldn't maybe say that. Absolutely not. I was thinking, I mean, like, because as I've mentioned on previous episodes, I was raised Catholic. I've also mm -hmm. recently come to terms with the fact that I'm still I still have Catholic guilt. And it's kind of it sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, I just want to be a heathen. <laughs> anyway, so I don't have any church acquaintances. The only church acquaint acquaintances I can think of were people who I also went to like high school with. Because mm -hmm. they'd be like, oh, my God, Nicole has gone missing. Where could she be? They'd be like, I haven't seen that bitch in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it also speaks to just how Christian Beth Cornelson is. So I guess I'll just bring this up now. 
because we all know the deal with human trafficking. One thing that they repeat multiple times is that they hope that she's safe and also something, something, her like virtue is still intact. What a choice of words there. Virtue. That, that's that's very religious. They also use innocence. Yeah. Ridiculous and reckless plan that would put her life and virtue at risk. Oof. Where, where innocence, I feel, is more understandable because she is innocent. I mean, she's a very naive child. She's a child. She is a child. You know, and so, yes, like children are innocent. But virtue specifically, I was like, ooh, that, that screams religious at me. Mm-hmm. So the whole family is gathered round. No mention of Kate and Matt. So I can only assume they're off somewhere still fucking. Mm-hmm. Of course. Matt's, Matt is giving a police officer a lecture about how he was uh, a military cop. This book would have only been 50 pages long if Matt used his keen <laughs> observation <laughs> skills to solve the mystery. I gotta say, Jake has way better, has way better proven <laughs> skills of observation than Matt. Matt's like, he I have actually, a part- <laughs> Matt solves zero crimes in Mountain Retreat Murder. Jake tracks down his daughter to the exact location where she has been trafficked. Goes undercover and like all this other shit. Matt Harkney wishes. Matt could never. Well, see, Matt's more, you know, he's not as as hands on. You know, he's he's observant. Uh, If you haven't, please listen to Mountain Retreat Murder because this fucking guy is ridiculous. And just the contrast between dumbass Matt and actually productive jake and mm-hmm. like useful jake is just so distinct yeah it's it's crazy mm-hmm. i think that was honestly my biggest surprise in this book is that we actually have characters yeah i was expecting zero substance and all nonsense like the last book but no this this surprised me mm-hmm. damning with faint praise <laughs> Also, Emma looks through photos of Fenn to get a bunch of different f- pictures to put on flyers. And one of them is a photo from Matt and Kate's wedding a few months back. Fenn had been laughing about something with Matt's son, Eric. And the pure unbridled joy and mirth radiating from Fenn caused a bittersweet stab in Emma's heart. I think it was cute bringing up the best relationship that Beth Cornelson has ever written. That we were robbed of. That we were robbed of. Another thing that I highlighted during this whole police at their house scene and like figuring out next steps is when Emma says, oh, baby girl, where are you? Jake says, I thought she asked you to stop calling her baby girl. She's not a baby anymore. Jake's soft admonition was followed by a warm, wide hand on her shoulder, a firm but gentle squeeze. Emma hated to admit how good the hand, the deep rub of her knotted muscles felt. She gathered her anger around her like a shield. Well, she's not here to hear me now, is she? She faced him, lifting her chin. And you know she will always be my baby. You've said it as much yourself. His face grew sad. I have. She is. She'll always be that sweet pink face that peeked out when the nurse handed her to me, wrapped like a burrito. I was nothing but a dumb teenager, too stupid to know anything about being a father, but I knew immediately that I would kill to protect her. So I was like, kind of cute, but also I feel like 
I don't know. It's the, the dialogue in a lot of this book just does not feel natural to me. Nobody in the world talks like this. Nobody. Where I thought it was a very cute sentiment because like, yeah, they were just teenagers. And then for him to for them to both have to grow up so quickly because they have a daughter now. Uh, and, you know, for him to be like, oh, you know, like she was a little burrito and I was really stupid and didn't know what to do. I, I just thought it was very cute. But again, just worded really weird. Yeah recently like did this like thing on twitter or whatever but i've also mm-hmm. been asked this before which i who the fuck am i to be giving writing advice i'm just some <laughs> dude you know i uh, know you're a critic it's true i'm just some bitch on the internet uh, <laughs> but it's like one of the easiest things you can do is just to read your shit out loud especially dialogue because once your mouth has to move and form those words, you'll be like, oh, my mouth wasn't made to move in this particular pattern because it sounds stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're rereading questionable content for a future video on, on our channel, a, a webcomic that started in 2003 and is still going. And in some of the earlier strips, one of the characters has this quirk where she's essentially trying really hard to overcompensate for a Georgian accent. So she doesn't use contractions as much as possible. And on the written word, it looks okay. But the second that you try and like think it and say it out loud, it sounds so clunky and awkward and you sound like a robot. Mm-hmm. In, in the Jujutsu Kaisen fandom, mm-hmm. in which I am very active, there are a couple characters who are more serious. And so you won't catch them like saying dumb shit. But whenever... I read fanfic about them and they speak and don't use conjugated words like I cannot, I do not, you know, would not. I'm just like, no one talks like that unless it's unless you're doing it for like emphasis. Yeah. In English, you only really use an uncontracted word. Not even if you're being formal, because I feel even in formal language, you're using contractions a lot because it's just how you speak English. Mm -hmm. But you remove contractions to put emphasis on that part of speech. Like, there is a reason to do this. I would not do that. That sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, for for some reason, it's just like whenever someone's trying to write a more serious or mature character, they take out conjugated words and it's like no one fucking speaks like that unless like maybe english is your second language <laughs> yeah no one does that anyway so yeah just it, just i've noticed uh, this is very like prevalent throughout the whole book where it's just like no one speaks like this yeah and it's also just show don't tell again uh-huh like jake literally tells us like his feelings about his past in relation to emma and fan and the bond they have together he doesn't even really say it to emma he just kind of says it out loud to the omnipresent reader (laughs) again like this highlighted bit in particular just very cute sentiment no one talks like that and also like why would you speak to your wife like that who was like there for the whole thing yeah like you don't have to explain the childbirth to her she was she was <laughs> she was literally there <laughs> yeah you saw that that sweet pink face peek out from you from a blanket she pushed it out of her vagina yeah anyway moving on emma like is sifting through her purse for some reason and notices that her debit card's missing she always puts it in the same spot and she says oh she must have taken my debit card also she knows my pin because fen has helped her with 
grocery shopping and the like. And so they're like, oh, well, if she's withdrawn money, then we can track it to an ATM. We'll call the bank. And so the search begins for real. Yes, the real work begins. <laughs> the real Dark Souls starts here. <laughs> so at the Quickie Mart, they talk to the manager who was trying to have magenta-haired girl arrested <laughs> and another person there. First of all, they're both like, come back with a warrant, which is reasonable, but because it's in fiction and because we are on the side of the people gathering the information, the idea of not giving information to the police or anyone else without probable cause or without a warrant is seen as unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, so they do come back with a warrant and there are cameras both inside the store and outside in the parking lot. And they very clearly see Fen get kidnapped when one of the managers before was like, then she got in a car with that girl and some friends, I guess. She was like very nonchalant about the whole thing. She says, oh, yeah. And she got in the car with her friends. And then when they see her get shoved, she's like, oh, yeah, well, they, she did get shoved. I didn't want to worry you guys. Also, she told me she was with them. Yeah. But it's like, bitch. She clearly gets, like, carried into the car, like, kicking and screaming. She gets punched in the face and gets knocked out. You don't see them carrying this limp-ass body into the backseat <laughs> of a car. And also, like, I've done this in the past. Where if You've I kidnapped? see, Yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought I was going to get kidnapped once when I was really oh. drunk. But no, it was it was a friend of a friend. So it was okay. They were rescuing me from making out with the guy I had a crush on in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Whenever I see anything remotely suspicious, and again, maybe I just watched way too many for episodes of Forensic Files with my dad when I was like 11 years old. If I see something suspicious and a vehicle is involved, I will take note of the license plate. I'm like, just in case... I don't know if I'm like overly paranoid or again, maybe it's the forensic files. But if I saw a girl getting pushed into a car, even if she said she was with her friends, I'm like, mm, if that looks kind of weird, I'd be taking notes down. I'd be like, all right, they drive a Honda Civic. It's gray with chip paint on the side, uh, license plate number. Here it is. Yeah, honestly, if you see something, you probably should say something. Yeah. Or even if you don't say something, at least take note of it in case someone asks. Then you're like, oh, I did notice something a little weird. Yeah. So let's talk about the trafficking gang, because one of the police officers who comes with the warrant, he sees the shady looking guy and he's like, that dude looks like Daniel DJ Monroe. DJ Monroe. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> and so he's like, he is like a known, <laughs> known prostituter. He's a known pimp. Yeah, a known pimp and not in a fun way. But I guess they can't make anything stick with him. I'm guessing he tends to like recruit girls into his prostitution ring. They do very much say recruit. Yes. Officer Smith pulled a reluctant face. We suspect him of recruiting runaway teens, both boys and girls, for an interstate prostitution ring. Recruiting, Emma said, her voice a rasp. You mean kidnapping? I gotta say thank you. Tell that to Roses in the Rain, who refer to this child trafficking ring as a teenage prostitution ring. Yeah, it's just a couple of gal pals getting together. 
and a fun time a fun time what could be better than you and your gals yeah having a good time with some guys who just want to pay you money <laughs> like no bitch call it what it is exactly the ring is run by daniel monroe at least he seems to be in charge they never really go into detail because fen doesn't really see that much detail mm-hmm. right now the main operation in this area it seems to be him this other guy tommy and these two teenage girls, Ruby and Christy. Ruby and Christy seem to, at this point, basically be old hat at this and are pretty resigned to it. Ruby, I think, is leveraging her own safety in the form of helping kidnap other girls and trying to put forward that maybe she's doing this more willingly than she actually is in order to keep her more safe. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, you know, I try not to borrow my big sister's things, but I do have to borrow her corner for a minute. <laughs> and I need to conjecture because Fen just is plural. <laughs> she she straight up hears multiple voices in her head at the same time at one point. Run, one voice in her head shouted. Fight back, another said. Don't fight, stay alive, a third countered in rapid succession. And also, she dissociates a bunch in the story, too. I'm sorry, Fen is a plural icon. <laughs> we stan. Fen, come on System System on our channel. <laughs> system System. Never know how much I switched them. Fen wakes up, and she's, like, bound and gagged. And she, like, spits out whatever is in her mouth. And she, like, starts to, like, throw up. Or she, like, starts choking on her gag. And... Christy, like, takes some scissors or something and undoes the zip ties around her wrists, which is actually a dangerous way to secure someone because you can cut off their circulation. Not that these guys probably care, but I think that they might get more money for a teenage prostitute that has both her hands. Oh. Just saying. <laughs> Don't speak for me. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> she starts, like, throwing up. Partly because of the gag and partly probably because of like adrenaline and nerves and stuff. And so the girls kind of give her the lowdown. Ruby, the magenta haired girl, is like, DJ is going to be back with your first client like any minute now. And Fen, in a kind of not so Zoomer way, is like, your hookers. A term I don't think Zoomers use casually anymore because I think they're more like generally aware than that. Yeah. Fen's like, I've, but I don't, I've never. So the, the other girls quickly realize that she's a virgin. And when DJ comes back with this client, he's like, all right, Layla, which is Fen's new name, spirited away style. <laughs> <laughs> Your name is now Sen. He's like, all right, Layla, your first customer's here. And Chrissy, like, jumps to her aid, and she's like, hang on. Uh, hey, listen, she, she's, she's a virgin. You can almost definitely get, like, way more money than this guy is probably paying you for this. DJ considers this, and he's like, hmm, you know, you're right. And the customer there is like, hey, what, I don't get, I don't get this one? And... He's like, you give one of my girls. Yeah, I didn't say which one. And so Fen is like dragged out of the motel room. And as she's leaving, she like mouths to Christy like, thank you. Taking one for the team. Yeah, take take one for the team, Christy. Like, damn, Christy, come through. 
<laughs> is that is that a babysitter's club book? Oh my God. Christy takes one for the team. <laughs> if it's not, it is now. We're writing it. Virginity isn't even a real thing. Oh yeah. Like I could just say I'm a virgin. Yeah. Like who's gonna tell me otherwise? The Lord. <laughs> He's not involved. There's no room for Jesus here. No. I mean, with system stuff, virginity is even more of a social construct because it's like, is our body a virgin if you can technically like count that as like a physical property to the body? No. But am I 15 year old Susan a virgin? Yes. The bidding will start at $100,000. Yeah. Women only, please. (laughs) (laughs) Like what's stopping her from being like, oh, I mean, I guess in this case, it was good that she was like yeah i'm a virgin because it postponed the inevitable Mm -hmm. jake and emma emma is like freaking out and she says i'm just so so scared like getting kicked to the ribs jake fell back a step his breath leaving him in a whoosh slamming his truck door he raced around to the passenger side and yanked open her door he pulled emma into his arms and held her whispering shh i've got you i know i know She curled her fingers into his shirt and leaned into him, letting him support her. For the first time in months, maybe more than a year, he felt needed, like he mattered, like she wanted anything he had to offer. That idea alone nearly brought on the waterworks he was fighting to shove down. I thought that was nice. That was a nice moment. That's nicer than anything Matt Arkney has ever done, really. He hasn't done shit. He's too busy using his powers of observation. Yeah, he's like me, an empath. I think (laughs) Emma might be sad at this moment (laughs) that her daughter got kidnapped. (laughs) Thank you, Matt, for your insight. I want Matt to have one line of dialogue so bad, but he doesn't even show up. I also really wanted him to show up and just say some dumb shit. That's how much of a deadbeat dad he is. He doesn't even show up in this book. I'm trying to think because I, I I know Eric doesn't live with him full time. So it's like he doesn't even have his son to worry about. Yeah. It's just him vibing with his new wife. Yeah, he's in charge of security on the ground. He's in charge of security and he's like not offering to help with this at all. Yeah, he's not like offering ideas of like, hey, let's check some security cameras. Let's maybe track your bank account. Does she have anything else that can be tracked besides a phone? They installed security cameras. At the end of the last book. And so it's like, where the fuck was he when they were trying to figure out where she went? He could have like backed up the security camera and been like, oh, hey, she biked out of here at like 5 a.m. Yeah. So he's just fucking useless. Matt. Ugh. Matthew. Matthew Harkney, you piece of shit. Useless garbage man. Garbage men are very useful. Matt is worse than that. Oh, no, no. Garbage man as in a man made of garbage. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) real quick too at the beginning of chapter five this is bad emma said the moment they were back in jake's truck our daughters both know better than to get into a car with a stranger i have been hyper vigilant about drilling that rule into their heads girl didn't do well enough yeah though to be fair fen did not get into a car willingly with a stranger that's true but also it's like why would you go near a stranger's car (laughs) you kidding me When I park at the grocery store, I park right next to like the cart return area, driver's side on that side. So when I go (laughs) into my driver's side, ain't nobody around to shove me into their van. They can't get in. The shopping carts are right there. (laughs) Good thinking. I'm never going to get kidnapped. I'm far too (laughs) vigilant. (laughs) 
This is Okir. This was actually Nicole's <laughs> last podcast. Uh, she was kidnapped recently, we think. Uh, she, we haven't heard from her for about three months. <laughs> last seen wearing a, <laughs> a hands of a spider t-shirt <laughs> and green sweatpants. <laughs> If anyone uh, knows her whereabouts, please let us know. Her cat's food is very expensive. <laughs> it's true. He only eats organic shit. His half-brother keeps beating him up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> please send any tips not to the police, but to steamydreamymimi at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can <laughs> add us on Twitter. we'll take the law into our own hands. Yeah, add us on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Tumblr and TikTok. Um, subscribe to our Patreon and let us know tips there. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you will have the chance to submit tips <laughs> as to my whereabouts when I go missing. Oh dear. Oh god. I think I do a pretty good oak impression. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> I have a couple of things to talk about with the discussion of what to do with her. So Fen's captors discuss like the idea of of what to do with her since she has now been deemed a hot commodity and they are going to move her out of state and there they're going to put her up for auction on the dark web darkweb.tumblr.com <laughs> <laughs> they are going to move her out of state tommy is going to be the one to do it first of all there's one thing dj says you're not going to give Tommy any trouble, are you, Layla? Layla, Tommy said and snorted to laugh. You come up with that? DJ shrugged. What of it? Clapton fan, are you? Tommy asked with a crooked grin. Bite me. I thought that was a really funny and honestly humanizing moment for these two cartoonish villains. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> enjoyed that. Yeah. Like, it's just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think, like, what... Okay, so spoilers, we meet Ruby's family later, and we find out that her name is actually Ruby. Is Christy's name actually Christy? And if not, did he come up with, with her fake name as well? Do you think DJ is a millennial? Like a late millennial? Well, yeah, because they said that he was youngish at one point. Oh my god, so he, oh my god, he's like my age, probably. Our generation are creepy villain age now. Oh, god damn it. So it's like I can human traffic people and no one would bat an eye because I'm yeah. within that age range. It's true. You'd be like, oh, of course, it's fucking millennials. <laughs> oh, also, in order to transport Fen across state lines, they've uh, like drugged her up. Yeah, they shot her up with something. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Jake, at this point, he just kind of like wanders listlessly around the house and just being sad about Fen. And he wanders into her room. And he, he just kind of looks around, casting his gaze around the strange collection of things his daughter kept in her room. Concert posters from music groups he knew nothing about, books on preparing for college entrance exams, and bumper stickers pinned to her wall with slogans from current hot-button issues, dirty t-shirts featuring product logos, movie references, and cultural icons lay strewn over her floor, witness to her sloppiness, but also signs his little girl was growing up, forming opinions, learning empathy, choosing a path. Here is where I'm going to go off about Beth Cornelison a little bit. Let me hear Here's it. It's like the first half of my thing. Here's where I want to talk about Beth Cornelison as a person more. And then at the end of the podcast, I want to talk more about Beth Cornelison as a writer. Mm -hmm. Because here, 
I know that I said Beth Cornelison is super Christian, and she is. And I looked up some interviews with her and saw her in the modern day. She does look way older than the photo that they still use for her, which I think was taken in like the early 90s, it oh. looks like. She looks to be like like late 50s, early 60s, basically. And even though Beth Cornelison looks like she would call me a slur, <laughs> I don't think she actually would. There are two reasons why I think that. One is this passage here specifically saying like, not just bumper stickers pinned to her wall with slogans from current hot button issues, but the fact that Jake feels pride that she is like learning empathy for other people. And to me, that says that Fen has like some sort of like queer rights stuff on her wall. Maybe I'm projecting and maybe she actually has like pro-life stuff up there. And Jake's like, thank God she has empathy for those unborn babies. I was thinking um, the, the coexist bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, the hottest button issue. The other thing that makes me think that Beth Cornelison is probably a decent person, despite her being super Christian, maybe that's not fair of me to judge like that. But at the same time, how can I not? Yeah. You know? The other thing is that I went through her Twitter that she does not use very often, but I didn't even just scroll through the stuff that she posted and retweeted. I looked through her likes as well. Oh. And one of her likes was specifically someone saying like, we need to call out and divorce Christian nationalism from Christianity because it does not reflect the taught values of Christ and like what Christianity should be. We can't let fascism be the dominant narrative for our religion in this country hell yeah beth yeah and the fact that beth agrees with that sentiment speaks a lot to me mm -hmm. that she is a person who clearly has her head screwed on straight to some degree yeah i do have to say that beth does still have a lot of old-fashioned values in some ways things like i can't help but notice that the most alternative lifestyle looking girl is the one who helps kidnap fen you know, mm. this girl with pink hair and a nose ring and pronouns, I must assume. A hooligan. A hooligan. A delinquent. There's also some stuff where I don't know if Beth is beholden to Harlequin in some regards or not. But the fact that, yes, Emma got pregnant in high school, but don't worry, she was 18. When I don't think that's the most common narrative for teenage pregnancy. No. And I'll get into this more at the end, but I think that Beth wants to be edgy, but can't be either because of Harlequin or because of her own needs as a writer and for a story. And also, I think just because of her values, I don't think she would let herself genuinely write, you know, a child who's a result of a 15 year old being pregnant or mm -hmm. like... Or, you know, like, even if Fenn's political bumper stickers or whatever are actually for queer groups, they're not going to say that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. I also feel like she just probably doesn't even know how to be edgy by our standards. I'm thinking, you know, like back in the day, I mean, like I have some family scandals that were considered scandals back in the day if that should happen today it's like get over it. it's like not the end of the world relax and it's so weird because this book like is is kind of edgy and like really uncomfortable mm -hmm. 
it goes like right up against it, but it will never cross a line. Yeah. Which maybe in some regards is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that Beth maybe thinks that she's doing more than she is. I think so. But I do also think like it's a Harlequin thing. They yeah. don't want to push too far. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's some thoughts. But yeah, like you said, I do think it's a good, I mean, especially given like the subject matter of this book, I think it's a good thing that yeah. it wasn't pushed too far. So Lexi, the four-year-old daughter, Fen's sister throughout this whole time, has been like staying with family members. Fortunately, the Cameron clan is huge. So they have this giant support system ready to take care of this child while Emma and Jake do their thing. And so Lexi asks, where is Fen? She asked that after they trundled her into bed and led her in prayers. Oh, I didn't even read that. <laughs> I, I didn't catch that the first time. I'm just, I just saw it now. Oh my god! Um, Imagine making your your four year old pray. I mean, <laughs> that's I know, what I, I had to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Still. So Lexi is asking where Fen is, and so you know, obviously her parents don't want to tell her the truth. She's four years old. And she's also like, from what I gather, very insightful for a four-year-old. So Jake said that she went away for a little while and that she's staying with some other people for a while. And Lexi's asking, why? Who? And so then Emma says, Fen will be back in a few days. So like Emma is, you know, obviously distraught. And like once they leave her, Lexi's bedroom, she buries her face in her hands and like shrugs off Jake's hand. And he says, what? Emma stood by the sink, her arms braced on the counter. You lied to her. With a snort, Jake folded his arms across his chest. A white lie. Our four-year-old doesn't need to hear the truth. Not the full terrifying truth, but she knows we're worried that something's not right. Now she'll equate going to that visit school friends with something bad, something worrisome. What about you? You promised her femme would be back in a few days. We don't know that. Emma straightened and whirled to face him, her eyes fierce. Really? Just a couple hours ago, you promised me we would get her back, that you'd bring her home, that then she'd be safe again. Am I not supposed to believe that? Did you lie to me? Bitch, relax. Like, why are you directing all this anger towards him? Like, making him to be uh, him out to be the bad guy? How dare you not tell our four-year-old daughter that her sister has been kidnapped and sex trafficked? I want you to march back in now. <laughs> And explain to her the crude details that we can only infer. Like, for real, it's just like, I understand that tensions are high right now and that their marriage wasn't in the best spot to begin with. I mean, I also feel like I can't really speak to this because I've never had an experience like this, but like, neither has Beth probably. But I do feel like sometimes it's kind of a stretch. I'm like, y'all are just finding reasons to argue. Yeah. Like, at this point, it's like, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but Emma says, all right, like once Lexi's tucked into bed, get the fuck out. And he's like, why are you kicking me out of my own house? And she's well, because I want things to go back to normal and I don't want us arguing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you're really going to kick him out of the house. Your daughter has been kidnapped and is being sex trafficked. Yeah. It's like, where are your fucking priorities? Like, is your little marital squabble really that important in the grand scheme of things? Like, right now? Exactly. There's other shit happening. Anyway, so that, that part just, like, annoyed the fuck out of me, where she's like, you lied to her. Bitch, you did too. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> they both suck. 
so they're both like incredibly restless and they're like we can't just sit around and wait for the cops to get back to us because it's gonna take way too much fucking time and also like obviously they're her parents they're restless they want to like do something to help so they begin brainstorming you know they they channel their inner matt harkney and are like all right let's 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 brainstorm here so emma had suggested that maybe they should go to places where prostitutes were known to hang out because that's just common knowledge i guess like oh yeah again they're trying to assert that valley haven is like this quaint little town where nothing bad ever happens and meanwhile there's an entire half of this town that's like sex trafficking and embezzling and kidnapping Serial killing, I guess. And enough to, like, know where these things happen. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you want to go to O'Flanagan's on 3rd, <laughs> and <laughs> that's where you'll find all the prostitutes. Uh, <laughs> sorry to O'Flanagan's on 3rd. That's, that's a real place. We need to get libel insurance. Shit. <laughs> and they decided, like, kind of tag team it, and they had this whole, like, plan to do so. And then, who do they find in a bar? But a girl who had hair dyed a bright magenta. That girl shouldn't be in that bar. There's no way she's 21. Did they not card her? Well, I mean, worse things happen there, I guess. I guess, yeah. Also, there are some bars that'll like let you in. They just won't give you a drink. I guess. Jake and Emma chase down Ruby. And Jake like pins her against a, a chain link fence. And they demand answers from her. Ruby says that, that, like, she can't say anything. Basically, I have fear of her safety. But she does say that Fen isn't in state anymore and that her virginity is being auctioned off to the highest bidder. Seven dollars. Not a penny more. Too rich for my blood. <laughs> anyway, and then they basically let Ruby run off into the night. <laughs> yeah. She, like, refuses any help, I think, too. Yeah. But I think like she has her reasons for that too, which yeah, she we'll does. get into in a little bit. Yeah, because they they're like, oh, you know, once we find Fen, like we promise to like take down this sex trafficking ring and everything. Ruby's like, okay, sure, bye. <laughs> Deuces, <laughs> runs away. So cut back to Fen. This is like right before she's being transported to a different state. She's trying to fight back. She's tried a couple of times to like run away when they uh, took the zip ties off of her, for example. But then Tommy shows her something and he's like, does this look familiar to you? He shows her like the phone screen and it's a picture of her house. <gasps> mm -hmm. And he says, we found your address in that little backpack you were carrying. We know where your family lives. He swiped to another screen and pulled up a picture of her family she'd recently posted on Instagram. Nice looking folks. Tommy tapped his finger on the screen. I especially like this little girl. He pointed to Lexi. Maybe we could snatch her and put her to work for us, too. Some guys like them young. Real young. Yeah, so the way that they keep Fen in line is that Tommy says, I have a text to DJ queued up at all times. All I have to do is press one button and a text goes out to DJ that says, kill her family and kidnap her four-year-old sister. The actual text is knife emoji, her family emoji, <laughs> and then kidnap, and then f girl baby emoji. 
so Fen's like, okay, like, fine. Like, I'll do what you want me to do. Just don't hurt my family. Okay, here's my question. The the logistics of this. Do you believe that they actually would? Uh, this is something that I kind of went back and forth on. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like, that seems like it's far too much work. Mm-hmm. There's other shit to do, you know? And then especially at this point, like, her family's on high alert. You know, like, is it really worth that risk? Yeah. But then I was thinking about that one movie. I can't remember the name. I can't remember the female lead, but Killian Murphy's in it. And he plays like this terrorist or some shit. And they're on a plane. And he's like, I have somebody like trained on your father this whole time. So you got to do what I say. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, so maybe like there is somebody. What is that movie? That's going to bother me. Hang on. <laughs> Red Eye with Rachel Mc- um... McAdams, directed by Wes Craven. Oh, Wes Craven. Yeah. I went back and forth on it too. When they first were like, you know, shut up or we're going to kill your whole family too. I was like, they're bluffing. They're going to say whatever they can to a 15 year old girl to keep her in line. Mm -hmm. But then when they bring up the picture of the house and like the picture of her family and stuff, it becomes like a more material threat. Yeah. But then there is a later scene where she really steps out of line and Tommy only threatens it again. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point where I'm like, they're never going to do it because if they do it, one, that's, I th- I'm pretty sure, a way bigger charge than the trafficking in court. But two, they can't threaten it anymore. So Fen has nothing to lose at that point. Yeah. The power in it is threatening to do it, not actually doing it. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like, it would be so easy to kidnap a four-year-old child. So it's like, maybe not kill the family, but Lexi's a pretty easy target, all things Mm -hmm. considered. Yeah. So I feel like there was like some truth to it, but I definitely think the threat of it is more effective than actually doing it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's just my thought. I don't know what I would believe if I were in Fen's situation. Yeah, but I feel like I would comply. Yeah. I don't know if I'm severely overestimating my abilities, but I feel like I would have been able to like do some damage yeah i think so too and at the end i want to talk more about that okay but (laughs) so it's like the morning after or something time isn't real once they learn that fen's virginity is going to be auctioned off they go on google and they're like uh google please show me uh (laughs) virginity auctions Because that's just something that comes up on Google. (laughs) That's if you go to the second page of Google. Oh, shit, you're right. I never make it past, like, the first half of the first page. That's the real deep web. That's the dark web. (laughs) Oh, God. And they're, they're, like, able to find shit. And it's like, can you really? Um, I think you could. I don't think it would be that easy. Yeah. But I do think you might be able to, like, work your way into something through other websites, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely ended up on a couple lists. And they see some, like, really horrible shit. <laughs> they definitely did end up on some watch lists. Oh, 100%. Because, especially because like, they weren't even, like, sneaky about it. Well, because, like, they're not trying to be sneaky. They're trying yeah. to find their daughter. But it's, like, they literally Google, like, uh, virgins for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is literally what they Google. <laughs> yeah, no, po- no point in being coy. <laughs> she... <laughs> Hell, what do what do I even use as search terms? She first of all, the term search terms, Beth. <laughs> yeah, let, let me let me keyword search 
She added a huff of disgust before suggesting no point in being coy. Start with the virgins for sale. <laughs> I mean, She's yeah. right. There is no point in being coy. I, I almost want to Google it, but I, I don't want to end just on a watch. About to say you have a VPN that. only sponsored by NordVPN for sale. <laughs> so we can Google virgins for sale. <laughs> uh... Oh, no. <laughs> Do you know the... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the Mary Kate and Ashley song "Brother for Sale"? Oh my god, I forgot <laughs> about that. Virgins for sale, <laughs> only fifty cents. <laughs> the, the remix we we deserved. <laughs> but yeah, so they're actually able to find shit, but no sign of Fen. So the next morning, Brody shows up, and they tell him, like, "Oh yeah, you know, we were trying to find things, and we couldn't find anything." And he says, oh, were you guys on the dark web? And they're like, what's the dark web? I was so excited because when they brought up like online auctions for this, I was like, please say dark web, please say dark web. And because I love hearing boomers talk about the dark web. Me too. But also part of me was just like, oh, I wonder if they're actually going to find anything on Google because maybe mm -hmm. they don't know about the dark web, really. <laughs> Yeah, so they Brody's like, I know a guy. He's a he's a, he's good with computer. He does like this hacker shit, hacker voice. I'm in. He put in like the typing sound effect. Yeah. Oh, well, I can do it here. Hacker voice. I'm in. Oh, I don't need to say hacker voice because I'm a hacker. I could just yeah. say I'm in. This is my regular just voice. <laughs> he's like, all right, I know this guy, Ben. And they're like, all right, call him. So they go over to Ben's house. And Ben's like, oh, yeah, so I heard you need, like, help getting on, like, some dark web shit. Like, what's up? He's like, oh, yeah, like, I have experience going on the dark web because sometimes companies' information gets stolen and, you know, I'm able to find, like, people's, like, social security numbers and, like, all that stuff on the dark web. And they're like, yeah, we need your help finding uh, our daughter. She's being sex trafficked. And Ben's like, um, <laughs> like, this is kind of out of my wheelhouse, but, like, okay. <laughs> Your, your very concerned and uncomfortable face right now is, like, exactly how I pictured Ben. Because <laughs> yeah. he's just like, um, like, I don't want to look at children being sex trafficked, but also, like, I do want to help you find your daughter, so, okay. One of the rudest things in this book is that Jake is like, so how do you know about the dark web? Like, directly yeah. <laughs> implying that, like, Ben is into, is, like, into some sick, perverted you stuff. You fucking sicko. Yeah. <laughs> you little, you little sicky. <laughs> you little, you little perv. What are you doing? And, and Ben's like, I do it for my job sometimes. But also, I like to find virgins for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just in my free time. <laughs> so after, like, half an hour of scrolling, they go on to, like, the 32nd page of Google and uh, of dark Google. <laughs> dark, <laughs> dark Google, show me, show me the virgins. Dark Cortana, find me virgins. <laughs> and so they find her and they're like, oh my God, like we found men and there's like only three hours left in her auction or something. And so like the highest bid is like 40 grand or something. And so they're- No, it's, it starts at 20. Okay, yeah. So it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. 20 grand. And so their plan is to 
like keep outbidding people and then eventually win the auction and then that's how they get their daughter back and so ben's like well like if you want to do this like you need the funds and so they start like moving money around and asking friends and family for money it's like it's ridiculous but their family comes through with the money they do like all of their family members are like like yeah take this money yeah here's like seven thousand million dollars which is like you know with a family that big you know i mean man Penn should get kidnapped more often quite a bit of help there i mean if you imagine like me with my two siblings they wouldn't be able to much help they wouldn't be able to help me much oh i couldn't get my parents to give me a hundred dollars let alone a hundred thousand yeah because that's eventually what the the bid is when they look at the bid it starts at twenty thousand when they first look at it and they go into the other room to worry and fight and just tell Ben, like, just keep bidding until you, you stop being outbid. Because they they think that whoever is currently the winner has, like, an auto-bid program to just, whenever they get outbid, just set up a new bid. But also, that's, like, foolish. Like, why would you do that when there's three hours left in the auction? Like, do they not know how to auction? Yeah, like, why are you increasing the price that early? Yeah, like, wait until there's, like, 10 minutes left and then see how things are going. And then when there are, like, 10 seconds left, put in a bid that's, like, because I think they were raising it in increments of 1000 put in a $3,000 bid. And then it's, like, or $3,000. Yeah, they've never sniped on eBay, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Because what happens is that it gets down to literally the last five seconds and somebody snipes in with a higher bid, and Ben, in like a panic rush, tries to enter a higher bid, but mistypes, and they get outbid. And the final bid is for $100,000, and the guy's username, which we will also get into, is like notar, so N-0-T-A-R, at sign, 1105, held the winning bid at $100,000. Yep. And so Ben's like, shit, like, I'm so sorry, but let me see what I can do. So he's like, let me see if I can find where the auction was set up or, or like, the, the winner's information. Like, let's see if I can hack into their accounts and shit. So eventually Ben comes through and he says, hey, I found this connection to this place in Tennessee. So they're like, all right, send us the address. And they drive to Tennessee to this fucking, like, middle of nowhere ass looking shack. Mm-hmm. It's not the only 10 I see. Boo. <laughs> so yeah, a rural pothole-filled road in Tennessee. A whole bunch of farmland. There are like no buildings or houses or barns or stores, nothing. But according to the GPS app, we're getting close because GPS app is something people say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so this entire time, like, listen, I'm pro-gun control. I'm mm-hmm. super anti-gun. If they didn't bring a gun, I was going to be mad pissed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you gotta. Yeah. Like, you're in the South. You're fine. Bring a gun. I mean, we basically didn't have to worry. They're in the South. They probably have a gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they have a handgun. And this whole time, multiple times throughout the book, Jake is like, Emma, you stay here. I'll take care of it. And she's like, no, like, you're not going to cut me out of this. Like, she's my she's my daughter as much as she is yours. I'm coming with you, which, like, I kind of get. But also, like, don't be stupid. Yeah. In this situation, I honestly think it would have been smarter to send Emma in mm-hmm. to be like, hey, can I use your phone or your bathroom or whatever? Because 
people trust women more. Yeah. And I feel like some random guy coming up and being like, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm lost here. Can I, can I Google something for you? Or can I Google? I'm apparently Tom Waits now. <laughs> <laughs> can I use your Google to like figure out my map? I feel like people wouldn't even open the door, but if it's like a pretty lady, mm-hmm. then somebody's going to be like, ooh, pretty lady. It's like, please, can I go into your home and print out a map from MapQuest? I don't know where <laughs> I am. <laughs> Does MapQuest still exist? Does it? Oh, God, I remember fucking printing out shit from MapQuest. Yes, it does. That's surprising, honestly. Yeah. Its parent is AOL. Oh, wait, it was AOL, and then it was bought by Verizon Media, and now it's owned by System One. Ah. Yeah, it's 27 years old. Oh, my God. It's almost my age. So he's like, all right, I'll take my gun, and if you insist on coming, you know, she brings her pepper spray. They, like, knock on the door, and no one answers, so they're like, okay, well, I guess we'll open the door and walk in. (laughs) Let me check something real quick. Tennessee has a stand-your-ground law which removes the duty to retreat before (laughs) using deadly force and self-defense when a person is not engaged in unlawful activity and is in a place where a person has a right to be. Yeah, that sounds right. And so they break into this house and are met with a woman with a shotgun. They just hear the whole, like, of the shotgun. (laughs) So it's some lady and her teenage-looking son, and she's like, what the fuck are you doing in my house? And they're like, oh, my God, we were just here to use the bathroom. Oh God. And there's a bit of a oh, like a kerfuffle, a little scuffle. And um, There's actually one moment in this fight that I thought was really clever. Jake is kind of, like, trying to inch forward and take the shotgun from the teenage boy because it's been passed off to him by this point. Emma very subtly underhands her keys into a corner on the opposite side of the room. And the boy, like, hears it and turns his head and Jake grabs the gun, like, points it away from them and starts wrestling for it. Yeah. And I thought that was a genuine moment of, like, a a clever character thing. Our protagonists in this book are so much smarter (laughs) than the last book. So much more, like, resourceful and just, uh, just captured my attention way more than the others did so yeah so after their little scuffle jake is able to take their shotgun and then he hands off his handgun to emma and so she kind of like holds him she's like get on the ground and you know have my fucking gun but she even acknowledges that she doesn't think that she could actually use the gun like worst comes to worst but she's like i need to make them think that i can use a gun so she shoots the floor and i was like hell yeah like smart Mm -hmm. thinking Shows you're not afraid to pull the trigger. You know, Emma and Jake are like, come on, like, the sooner you tell us what's going on, the sooner you tell us what you know, the sooner we will leave. And the woman says, like, I'm not telling you shit. And so Jake says, all right, well, I'm going to go take a look around. Is there anybody else here? And the woman's like, you didn't, you don't think that if somebody fucking heard all this shit going on, they wouldn't have come out by now? And they're like, haha, good point. So Jake is going to go do some investigating. And so while Emma's in the living room with the two of them, she starts talking to them and trying to, like, appeal to their humanity. And so she's like, oh, you know, you must be really proud of your son. I mean, for him to try to protect you the way he did and everything. And just, you know, tries to, like, speak to her mother to mother. Mm-hmm. And she says, please, you're a mother. You understand how my heart is breaking, don't you? How desperate we are to get. Of course I know, she growled. That's why I can't say nothing. Emma wrinkled her brow, meaning... The blonde woman shook her head, her mouth pressed in a tight line as if she regretted saying what she had. 
Emma moved closer, clapping her free hand to her chest. Help me get my girl back. Please help me. Please. The woman snapped her head around, her gaze pained and sharp as she narrowed her eyes at Emma. If I help you, if they find out I helped you, they? They who? The woman drew a shaky breath. The men who have my daughter. Emma gasped. What? If they find out we said anything, they'll kill my ruby. <gasps> so that's why she wasn't complying with their demands. It was because Ruby, magenta-haired girl, is her daughter. And she has been looped into this whole sex trafficking situation. I think it's funny how this threat clearly works both directions. Because they're clearly telling Ruby, if you step out of line, we'll kill your family. And they're telling Ruby's family, if you step out of line, we'll kill Ruby. Yeah. And they're not going to do either. Well, they might kill Ruby's family. But then again, like I said before, the threat is over after that point. I feel like it'd be easier to kill Ruby. Yeah. But then they lose a hot commodity. That is true. But less hot than Fen because Ruby isn't a virgin. She's been tainted. She's been sullied. She's been ruined. Do you want to eat gum that someone else has chewed? Or, oh, no. Do you want to drink out of a cup that multiple men have spit into? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to drink out of a clean cup? Don't you want to, don't you want to kiss someone who hasn't had men spit into her mouth? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the mom says they have Ruby and they swore they'd kill her if we called the cops or did anything to screw them over. And Doug says, we tried to find my sister when they first took her. But Tommy found out and beat Mama and me near to death. That was last summer. And then after that, they said that they moved Ruby to another state. Which they didn't because Ruby is in North Carolina now. Jake's trying to get onto the computer, but obviously doesn't have the passwords. Tries all the basic ones like password, one, two, three, four, and whatever. And it's like, shit, well, I can't find anything. But before going back downstairs, he wants to make sure that they can't fucking shoot them in the backs when they go to leave. So he pulls out all the shells from the shotgun and throws them in the trash and he hears some paper rustling. He's like, oh, let me look through the trash. And he finds an attempt to print an airline boarding pass to Orlando, Florida for a flight leaving Nashville today. And so he's like, all right, time to go. And so they book their flights to Orlando. Also, the family doesn't have the password to the computer because it's not theirs. The people who have Ruby have been using their house as like an occasional base of operations in Tennessee, which is honestly just rude. Yeah, well, because it's in the middle of nowhere, and so they're like, oh, no one's going to come out this far looking for us. No Matt Harkneys are going to come find us. I mean, give the man some credit. His powers of observation, they're no joke. Yeah, they're to be feared. He was a military cop. And he's a writer. Oh my god, he's just... He's just so powerful. That's why they kept it out of this book, because if he was in this book, there would be no plot. Yeah, it's like in Twin Peaks to Return, when Dale Cooper becomes himself again, every problem gets solved in that same episode. So like, it's like, where's the fun in that? On the way to the airport, Jake and Emma have a genuine conversation where they're like, let's be civil about this, and let's actually try and talk our problems out. And the fact that they actually have like a several page long genuine conversation about their feelings and about their relationship with each other was kind of astonishing yeah if it wasn't so repetitive i would have really loved this but unfortunately they covered the same ground over and over again. that's true but i i did highlight one bit that i really liked because like i i mean i've mentioned this already a million times both of their sides are super valid and mm-hmm. so jake says something that kind of invalidates 
what Emma's feeling. And so she replies, I'm trying to tell you how I feel, what the last few months, years even, have been like for me. It is my truth, my feelings. They are not for you to judge or criticize or call me wrong. They just are. What I need is for you to hear me, acknowledge my feelings, try to understand how I see things. And it's like, yeah, yeah. like that's it where, you know, there are two sides to every story and you can see it one way and someone can interpret it in a completely different way. That's why they're both so valid. They just need to learn how to fucking communicate effectively. Yeah. They also have a moment in the beginning of this conversation where they're driving and Emma's like, you know, I gotta say, it was pretty impressive, like, what you did back there with, like, the shotgun stuff. She says, like, it was kind of sexy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, like, really? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) No, don't shoot him. You're so sexy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the um Debbie Debbie Ryan like the oh the blinking behind the ear, <laughs> <laughs> and he says you know you were pretty badass yourself you you surprised me I was very impressed and they say like we make a good team and it's like that was cute it was cute like you said if it wasn't so repetitive like this would have yeah. been a really nice scene yeah the conversation ends kind of abruptly like Emma says all that stuff about like hey like this is just my feelings. Like, you can't call my feelings wrong. Then Jake is like, all right, we're at the airport. We should focus. And that kind of, like, kills the conversation. And so because they bought these tickets to Florida last minute, they're not able to sit together. And Emma starts to ask a person, like, hey, would you mind moving so my husband can sit next to me? And Jake's like, nah, I'm just going to go sitting back. I need some space. (laughs) and he ends up sitting next to this old lady who's been knitting like the entire flight (laughs) sorry i have a i have a section highlight here that says so your issue is with my pronouns which is in response to him always saying like i me mine all i me mine mine." um instead of us and our which like me too (laughs) also i have Jake turned with a crease brow to the older woman who had been knitting to pass the time, and I highlighted that and wrote Oak. <laughs> She's like, are you going to throw up? You look like you're going to throw up. <laughs> and he's like, no, I just had a, a fight with my wife. And, um, my wife. I, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I acted like a real jerk. And, and she says, at least you recognized it. That's half the battle. Now you only have to apologize and admit to her she was right and everything will be fine. Her smile brightened and she gave him a playful wink. Jake arched one eyebrow. What if she's not right? Maybe she's not, but if you want to have sexual intercourse tonight, then you'll tell her she was right and let her have her way. She doesn't say sexual intercourse, but she says sex tonight. That is an actual line. (laughs) Jake's eyes widened, startled to have this stranger speaking so frankly and audaciously about his sex life or the lack thereof. I like that this old lady is bold enough on this plane to be like, oh, if if you want to get your DS, you better apologize. <laughs> I'm going to be that old lady just saying out of pocket shit to strangers. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and actually, she has a nice line where she says, "Um, she's been married for like 40 years or something. She says, they say marriage is a 50-50 partnership, but they're wrong. Sometimes it's 60-40 or 75-25, and one of you has to step up when the other needs help. Change is guaranteed. That's when you depend on the constants, your love and commitment to get you through. 
But no matter where the odds fall, whether 50-50 or 75-25, you both have to be giving 100%. Marriage is hard enough without one partner phoning it in. It's like, wow, thanks, lady. I think that was his guardian angel. Oh. His horny grandma guardian angel. She was the spirit of spirit airlines. Going <laughs> to spread some wisdom. Wow, the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> That conversation actually, like, really kind of lights a fire in Jake. And he gets off the plane and is immediately like, I'm sorry, I was acting like a big jerk. <laughs> also, Emma got off the plane first and she's, like, waiting around. I thought this was funny. His gaze scanned the waiting area at the gate, looking for her, and Emma lifted her hand to catch his attention. Immediately, she heard Fen in her head, groaning, Mom, stop, I see you. Jeez, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> She hiccuped a sad laugh, promising herself that if they got Fen home, when they got Fen home, she'd be careful not to embarrass her daughter ever again. She twitched a private grin, adding, or maybe not, which I think that sort of embarrassment, I know Claudia went off in a recent episode about not embarrassing your your family, <laughs> but I think that embarrassment is like, like, I love you in public. I think that's fine. Ew. <laughs> Mom, don't give me a kiss on the cheek. I'm with my friends. I'm so embarrassing. Oh, I have a section highlighted here that says we just had this conversation, which I think proves my point. So Fen is also in Florida now. She is actually at the Orlando, Florida airport at this time, literally <gasps> the same time that Jake and Emma are getting in. Oh and she's... What a coincidence. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Just happened to run into each other. <laughs> like, oh my god, um, like, what are the odds? Small world. <laughs> <laughs> and so Fen has, of course, been told, like, if she draws any sort of attention to herself, her, her family's gonna get it. Yeah. And Fen and Tommy are starting to walk out of the airport, and she passes this this woman, and she, like, hears her voice and looks at her and sees her haircut, and she's like, that really looks like my mom. Maybe it's wishful thinking. And then the woman turns around. It clearly is her mom. And she's like, holy mackerel, that's my mom. And she she like screams out like, mom! <laughs> Meanwhile, Emma hears Fen say mom and turns around and looks for her and doesn't see her. And then coincidentally right near her hears like an eight-year-old being like, mom, I want ice cream or something. And... She's like, I guess I have to remember that I'm not the only one here who goes by mom. Oh. It borders on an annoying contrivance. Yes. It's like the book can't end here, obviously, because what kind of climax is that? They just happen to run into each other. Mm-hmm. But, like, you could have cut this. It's there for the for the drama. Yeah, exactly. And Fen doesn't try and yell out again. I thought initially when they said that Tommy grabbed her after they said that, that he, like, slapped a hand over her mouth. But no, he just, like, grabs her arm. Shoves her into a taxi. Not even. Like, he walks her out and then shoves her into a taxi. And when they get outside, he threatens her again. I think that Fen should have screamed bloody murder. Yeah, right? She's in an airport. Like, there are gonna be plenty of people around to be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And if she sees her parents, she knows that Tommy's threat of, I'm going to kill your parents, at least, can't go through. And she only saw her mother for a second. She doesn't know if her dad is there for sure, but she also doesn't know that he's not there. And she also doesn't know that Lexi isn't with them. 
it could be that they brought Lexi too and this threat is now meaningless. Yeah. I think that Fen should have taken the risk and screamed bloody murder Mm -hmm. and the TSA would have been like, "Uh, excuse me, sir, you can only have 3.5 ounces of liquid in your bag at any given time. Also, you kidnapped this girl. Get on the ground. Yeah. And... Cavity search. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Fen yells out one time and then Tommy's like, shut up. And then she's like, okay, I guess I hallucinate her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> the Michael Sarah in Arrested Development, like like walking with his head hung I, down. I was thinking that earlier. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> God, what good running gag for like one episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Fen gets in the car and she's, she's like being driven to the winner of this auction. There's a handoff. Also, I want to read this moment here to once again talk a little about Beth's values, at least briefly, to reiterate. Among the ways Fen had imagined losing her virginity had been, had been, there should kind of be a colon here, but a crazy spring break trip to Florida with her friends when she got in college. She'd find some hot guy on the beach who'd sweep her off her feet, and she'd sleep with him under the stars with the music of the ocean waves breaking to serenade them. Sounds like a great way to get sand in your vagina. Or her first time would be on her honeymoon before she boarded a cruise ship to the Bahamas. Or with her high school boyfriend with whom she had fallen deeply in love and ended up sharing the rest of her life. I think like, first of all, like all of those distinctly over 18, I feel. Yes. Which, you know, not the most common age that teenagers are are versions at. But, you know, one of them being like Fen thinking, oh, maybe I'll wait until marriage. I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think Fen is that kind of person who's really like wait until marriage. Yeah. Do you think maybe that's the bumper sticker on her on her wall? Not waiting till marriage? No, waiting till oh. marriage. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, slut rights. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe she's not one that says slut rights. <laughs> I break for sluts. <laughs> My slut beat up your honor student. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Coexist, except all the letters are like different positions from the Kama Sutra. (laughs) That has to be a real bumper sticker you can get. It's gotta be. If it's not, I'm gonna make it. (laughs) And then she's like, never in all her romantic imaginings had she ever considered that she'd be kidnapped, dragged to Florida to be handed off to some sick old creep who'd bought her online. It's like, yeah, most people don't, like, fantasize about that, usually. I mean... Usually, I said. What? <laughs> if I was, like, willingly selling it myself, I'd be like, fuck yeah, give me a hundred yeah. grand, shit. <laughs> Bodily autonomy, my friends. Like I said, the bidding starts at $100,000, girls only. PayPal and Venmo accepted. <laughs> <laughs> cash, money order. Actually, no, cash, preferable. Yeah, cash. That way you don't have to pay taxes. Cash or dark web coin. I I accept Dogecoin. Dogecoin. (laughs) (laughs) So the handoff happens, and this guy, first of all, Fen hears him vaguely say, like, this isn't my first rodeo. I know the deal. And then Tommy drags her out of the car and, like, tosses her into this guy's sports car. She's driven off to his mansion in Florida. She's, like, taken inside by this kingpin-looking guy. Just a huge wall of a man. Mm-hmm. First of all, this guy, Bill, he tells Vince that Layla here is his niece. And as Vince is taking Fen to her room, she's like, please, like, I've been kidnapped. Call the police. And Vince is like, I don't, I don't give a shit. 
I just work here. (laughs) (laughs) I just work here. (laughs) And they make it clear that like Fen is in like a golden cage right now. She can have like anything that she wants. She can't have a phone. She can't have the internet, but she can watch whatever movies she wants. She can go anywhere on the grounds, basically. She can have whatever food she wants and stuff, but she can't leave. She's going to be held here for like two weeks. And Bill's fantasy, essentially, that he's his his copium here is that he's he's like (laughs) his thing is that he essentially wants to, like, seduce her and make it seem to him like is even vaguely consensual when he is literally paid for her for this kidnapped girl to be brought here. Which also, like, what a convenient thing to happen for her, yeah, right? her virtue to remain intact for a little longer. Mm-hmm. One more thing, and then that's the last we're going to see of Fen until the climax. And not the sexual kind. Yes, no, don't worry. So the next day, she's supposed to be ready for Vince to bring her down to breakfast with Bill, the guy who, who bought her, the next morning at, like, 7 a.m. And at 7, Vince, like, essentially kicks down the door and he's like why aren't you ready yet and she's like i didn't have a way to set an alarm and he points to the clock next to the bed and he's like what do you think that is and she says oh i i didn't know those things had alarms i always use my phone ignorant kids vince scoffed which i thought was a genuinely funny section it's the one time that kids these days really worked for me. I was thinking that too, because I was like, oh, like, oh, it's just another kids these days line. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? <laughs> kind of valid TBH. <laughs> <laughs> like if you asked me to to set an alarm on like an old wind up alarm clock, I couldn't do that. I had like a wind-up watch for a while. Oh, so did we. For the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. What a lot of work. I wore yeah. it only a handful of times, and I said, all right, this is a little too much for me. <laughs> so back to Jake and Emma. Okay, so Jake and Emma, they set up camp at, like, a you know little hotel or whatever, and they're like, oh, shit, like, we don't have a plan. What do we do from here? And so... They kind of revert back to their old plan, which is like, let's go to places where one might find like a prostitute or something. And so in order to, in order to blend in with the crowd, they have a shopping montage at the mall. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of Clone High. Makeover, 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 yeah. <laughs> makeover. <laughs> Emma comes out looking like a skank, but like in a hot way, you know? Skank. Positive. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's like, "Uh uh damn, like my wife's hot as hell. He has like an erection at one point and it's like, sir, put that shit away. Your daughter's been kidnapped. (laughs) I think Emma says that and he's like, my body doesn't know that. Yeah. It's like, put your dick away. (laughs) Dude, put that thing away. They're like children being kidnapped. Put that thing back where it came from or so help me. (laughs) But yeah, Emma's looking fine as hell. And so their plan is to, you know blend in with the crowd at this like strip club i think it is so he goes in wearing like a a nice suit pretending to be like a fancy businessman looking to you know satisfy some cravings a wink wink nudge nudge so like some some dancer comes up to him and she's like oh hey sugar like how you doing and he's like "Ah, ahaha like you know i'm here to you know satisfy some of my urges and she's like oh my god like what kind of urges 
he says, I'm looking for virgins. And she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> and yeah. she goes up to this like group of like girls, her fellow dancers or whatever. And she says, this fucking freak over at the bar just asked me like where he could find virgins. And Emma, who's like sitting off to the side somewhere, like snorts. <laughs> um, and because she's just like, oh God, like he really wasn't like trying to be subtle or anything. And they're like, who the fuck are you? And she's like, oh, I'm here, you know, because I used to dance and I'm looking for a job. So I'm just here. But like, tell me more about this guy. Like, that's so crazy that he would come in here looking for stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, no, like that shit doesn't happen here. Like, he came in here looking for a virgin. That's kind of like looking for icebergs in the Bahamas, isn't it? So Emma, being all undercover, is like, oh, my God. But, like, if somebody like, – like, that's so crazy. Like, do you ever get any sickos like that who do stuff like that? Like, where would one go to, you know, find virgins if that's what they were interested in? And this girl immediately, like, calls her out as a cop. Yeah, right? And she's like, no, I'm not <laughs> a cop. I'm just curious. And so they're like, oh, yeah. Like, we've heard of these, like, random sickos doing shit – there was this one oil tycoon or prince or some shit uh, who had a thing for American women. He'd fly them to his place in Iran or Saudi Arabia or, or, or wherever by the dozens for orgies. And then someone says, oh, my God, right? And I know there's a guy here in town, like a muckety muck higher up at one of the banks that pays for young girls and keeps them at his house for like weeks, months at a time, pampering them and telling himself he's making them fall in love with him before he sleeps with them as if he can justify what he's doing if he can tell himself it was mutual, consensual. And so they're like, OK, local banker, young girls, lots of money. We got a lead. But also it's like, how many fucking banks are there in Orlando, you know? Yeah. Also, Bill saying that he has all this money because he never married and never had a gold digging wife to divorce him and drain his bank accounts. I highlighted that too. It's like, oh my, these fucking women (laughs) trying to take all my money. These Fuck them kids. I'm not going to have them. I'm going to. Oh, when I say fuck them kids. Yeah, he does. He does fuck them kittens. Ugh, yikes. (laughs) Throughout this whole time, they keep like kind of calling the detective back at home and they're like, oh yeah, like we've got this lead and whatever. And he's like, what what the fuck are you doing? Like you're getting in the way. You're ruining years of like undercover work and like a whole bunch of other bullshit. And they're like, cool, well, you're taking too long to do things. So we're taking the matters. We're taking the law and matters into our own hands. Bye. And then they just peace out and do their own thing. But they're kind of keeping people in the loop, sort of. Yeah, they get a burner phone and basically just use it to call Brody. Yeah. Oh, also, there's one other thing that I thought was really funny and cute involving, like, the phone and, like, keeping people in the loop. Emma gets a voicemail, or Jake gets a voicemail. One of Emma's sisters, and she says, she, like, kind of is like, hey, where are you guys? And... She says, oh, I have a little sprout here that wants to say hi. Then a small voice that tugged at Emma's heart. Hi, Daddy. Nana and I made Scottish cookies today. She said they're called shortbread. I ate five. When are you coming home? (laughs) And then Grace's voice again. Oops, I didn't know Nana had her. (laughs) I didn't know Nana had let her eat so many. (laughs) Well, call me back. (laughs) It was very cute. Yeah. They're driving along and Emma says, hang on, like pull over or turn around or something like I I think I'm onto something. And she just had this this like feeling. And she says, I saw something that 
stirred a memory or felt off. I can't explain exactly, but I've heard it said that when we quiet our mind, our subconscious speaks to us. Something we missed rises to the top and... She gasped again and pointed out the windshield. There! Terraton Bank! So he says, what about it? And so she grabs a pen and like the receipt of the rental car and wrote on it. N-O-T-A-R-A-T, which is Terraton backwards and also the handle of the person who won the auction. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you were paying attention, (laughs) the username was N-0-T-A-R at sign and then some numbers. So Nota R at. And we also find out that those numbers... Because they essentially hand that info over to Ben and are like, can you find more info about this? And Ben comes back and he's like, so there's an executive who lives in town and his birthday is actually November 5th, 1105. (gasps) And he uses Notorat 1105 as a password in several of his accounts. So this is probably your guy. Here's his address. And so when I first read that, I was like, oh, that's like oddly convenient but then i remember that this guy's a fucking boomer so of course he uses like the same handle and password for everything because otherwise he'd forget he doesn't he doesn't know and also the fact that it involves his place of work and his birthday (laughs) it it honestly like made me laugh because it was just so silly but also i can definitely see it happening (laughs) it's too real it's too real so yeah, so so the guy in question here is the CFO at Terraton Bank, Ralston William Kingsley. And so Ben's like, here's his address, now go. And so now we get to to our little little heist, little Mission Impossible infiltration mission. So they're in this fancy ass neighborhood and they're like, okay, well now how do we get inside? And so there's like this plumber who's in the area. And so they explain what's going on. They're like, hey, our daughter's get- our daughter's getting sex trafficked. Uh, we will give you like $500 to give us your overalls and like borrow your truck for a minute. Jake hands over his like credit card and whatever as collateral. He's like, I swear I'll have your truck back in like two hours or your van back in two hours. Like, help me free my daughter. And the guy's like, okay. When Nicole says, we will do this, Jake comes up with this plan on his own and like basically (laughs) shuts Emma out of it. And Emma is pissed about it. So, okay, I have words about this too, because I understand she doesn't want to be shut out of the plans like it is her daughter. But his plan is to go, he, he shuts off like the main water valve or something. And so his plan is to call up and he says, hey, I'm a plumber and there's like been like a water break or some shit. So I'm going around to figure out like the source. And it's Vince who answers the phone. He says, well, like, no, like, go away. We're not going to let you in. He says, all right, turn your water on right now and let me know if anything comes out. Nothing comes out. So he lets him in through the gates. And so part of the reason he goes in alone is one, because there was only one uniform. But two, it's like, what possible reason could he have? to bring someone with him who's like not also in a uniform yeah if there were two uniforms it would be a lot easier yeah but that wasn't the case it was one uniform and so but but emma's still like oh my god like you should have brought me blah 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 and it's just like i get she wants to be involved but also it's like girl be logical yeah like what 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 could you have possibly done to make this a natural thing so she eventually runs into a pizza delivery driver and is like, hey, lady, 
I'll give you $500 to give me your badge in that pizza. Oh, also the pizza is actually like Fen's favorite pizza. And it was actually being ordered to the house. Yes. Pineapple bacon, which no thank you. I'm a Jew. And also I don't like tomatoes. So neither two of those three things on that pizza don't appeal to me. Uh, I'm definitely like mildly allergic to pineapple because it makes my tongue tingle. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like you do you, you know. I'm not gonna yuck your yum. If you want, pe- yeah. if you want, if you want pineapple on your pizza, you get pineapple on your pizza. Just don't expect me to eat it. That just means more for you. And Fen's had a hard week. She deserves it. She deserves her pineapple bacon pizza. And so her plan is to, you know, do the same thing that Jake did. So take the uniform, take the pizza, go into the house. But also, like, how fucking suspicious is that? (laughs) Yeah. It's like you're telling me that in the span of seven and a half minutes, you have a plumber come into your house. And then you also have a pizza delivery driver who shows up with a pizza and then immediately is like, I'm going to throw up. Let me use your bathroom. And then barges into the house and is directed to a bathroom. I did find the throwing up to be kind of clever because oh. <laughs> she goes there and she's like, at first she's like, can I use your bathroom? It's an emergency. And the guy's like, no. And then she thinks to something that Lexi has started doing, <laughs> which is pretending she's going to throw up to get what she wants. <laughs> she's so real for that. <laughs> yeah. And she starts like retching and she just kind of like shoves past him. And he yells like, oh, Jesus, the bathroom's that way. Because <laughs> nobody wants to be vomited on. <laughs> Which honestly, like, good plan. Yeah. But immediately it becomes it becomes a big red flag for Vince. But also me, let's pretend I'm Vince. Me as Vince. I am the, like, body security guard or whatever for the CFO who's, like, into fucking children. And mm-hmm. there is a child held captive in this house right now i'd be like bitch throw up in the bushes i'll get the gardener to clean it up that's not my fucking job yeah like i wouldn't let her in i would have a brain but like fortunately that's not the case here because they have to go rescue their daughter yeah but let me tell you if you put me in charge i won't let that shit happen on my watch so now that the two are in the house jake is like pretending to be like twisting a pipe or some shit somewhere and he hears a familiar voice and he's like oh god damn it like this bitch found a way to get into the house and he's like i need to find a way to distract vince because you know who knows how long we'll be able to keep up this ruse and i have to make sure my wife and daughter are safe so he gets like vince over and like distracts him with something he like breaks some shit or whatever causes a a ruckus yeah he throws a pan yeah, and he's like, oh, you know, I was trying to use the pan to, like, catch some water or whatever. Well, I need your help. So in the meantime, Emma's taking this opportunity to search the house. And after looking through a bunch of doors, she's like, well, why am I looking through open doors? Let me look at the closed doors. Goes to one, and here's, like, the TV. Inside is Fen. She has found her daughter. Yay. Happy Yay. ending. Celebrate good times. Come on. dun 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 so i mean we can kind of skim through this fight yeah nicole did you follow this fight very well Uh, i didn't care enough to follow it well i just like i knew what was happening but i was like i don't need to know like the details i don't need to know that you like punched him in the right cheek or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. i know the basic gist of what happened there was a little back and forth what i 
honestly did kind of get a kick out of. It starts with Emma and Jake fighting off Vince, and he's a big fucking dude, and also he has, like, a gun, so, you yeah. know, scary. Also, we should say that that Vince eventually, like, oh, yes. sort of figures out what's going on, and he immediately goes to Fen's room, and Emma is there, and he, like, pulls out his gun, and he's like, well... You know I can't, like, let you leave here, right? You've seen too much. You've seen too much. And then Jake comes up behind him and hits him with a wrench, I think. Something. That sounds right. Yeah. And so Emma and Jake are both, like, fighting this guy. And they're like, Fen, get out of here. And, like, call 911. They toss her one of the burner phones. And so she calls 911, but instead of like staying on the line, she just leaves it somewhere. And she's like, my parents came out all this way to help me. I can't leave them now. Three against one is better than two against one. So she goes back up and there's like a golf club lying somewhere. And she she starts beating Vince over the back with it. And this whole like family (laughs) like fight (laughs) scene kind of did it for me in a weird way. I was like, hell yeah. Like you go Turner clan. Fen doesn't really do anything. In no. it. She hits Vince over the back one time and he, she tries for a second time. And he turns around and grabs the golf club from her hand and just like throws it across the room. It's just like, girl, why aim for the back? Swing it up between his legs or go for the yeah. back of the head. Meanwhile, Emma is stabbing Vince in the neck with a broken piece of glass <laughs> yeah. from when, when Jake had his head smashed into the mirror fucking sick yeah (laughs) honestly she started with his arm and vince didn't even react and so she stabbed him in the neck hell yeah and vince almost shrugs it off yeah this this man's built like a brick shit house yeah basically when they've already got vince like on the brink of submission the cops come in they're like everybody get on the ground get on fucking ground and yeah they arrive just in time to do nothing like they always do well guys we did it (laughs) (laughs) ladies and gentlemen we got him (laughs) all thanks to the local police department thank you and the fbi what a great use of my tax dollars, honestly. <laughs> Give them more God. of my tax dollars. Let me yeah. pay them half of my paycheck directly. <sighs> if only. I love the cops. I love their uniforms. I love their guns and their body cams. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the training they receive that doesn't work. So they yeah. got to get more training, which we got to pay for. And that also doesn't mm-hmm. work. I love their internalized like racial biases. Mm-hmm. Kind of slaps, honestly. I love how they fire or kill any cops who uh, go against any other cops. Kind of slaps, like kind of badass, let's be real. Like a brotherhood. Yeah. We're at the end of the book, basically. Mm-hmm. The long and short of it is that before the epilogue here, the police have already gone and arrested Bill at his job, <laughs> which must be really humiliating. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine you're just going in and I'm like, I'm here to open up a new checking account. <laughs> I'm... 16 years old i got my first job my mom's here it's the co-owner to the account because i can't open my own yet and then the fucking swat team rolls up in here and they're like reginald or whatever the fuck his name is we're here to arrest you on account of child sex trafficking and i'm just like oh my god like i'm just here to deposit my first paycheck for 217 dollars and 13 (laughs) cents I would say that the bank will never recover from this PR scandal. Oh, absolutely not. 
It's the CFO. They're fucked. Oh, is is he? Was that what he was? CFO, yeah. Oh, no. Anyway, so he gets arrested and Vince is already, like, cutting a plea bargain. Yeah. Some kind of deal to, like, testify against him. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> for this, a lesser sentence. It's like the second they had him in cuffs, he just started, like, spewing all this information. <laughs> like, man has zero constitution. Which, honestly, king <laughs> shit. <laughs> The FBI or the cops or something there are like, all right, you crazy kids. If, if you cooperate with the rest of the investigation, we're not going to charge you with obstruction of justice. Get the hell out of here. Ah, crazy Slap kid. on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the hospital afterwards where Jake has like cracked ribs and a bunch of bruising in his chest. Emma has a concussion. And Fen has, like, a split lip from, like, a week ago, and that's it. Yeah. And Jake nearly cries from relief just from the fact that Fen has not been physically hurt that much. And that her virtue is intact. Yes, her hymen is still in one piece. That's the one piece. The one piece is real. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's the other half of where I talk about Beth Cornelison. Hit me with it. Fen is a character that you were supposed to think is active and is like helping in her own escape, but is not allowed to do anything. Zero of Fen's actions actually help her. It's always other people's actions that are ultimately what prevent her from being sexually assaulted. And listen, this is again where I'm like, Beth Cornelson will never take it that far, I don't think. Or at least Harlequin will not let her take it that far. I'm not saying I want her to take it that far at all. I think as it is, this book is really tasteless. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, Fen doesn't come up with the idea of, like, mentioning that she's a virgin as a plea to, like, delay her being assaulted. Christy comes up with that and saves her. When she's in the airport and she sees her mother, she calls out once, but she's not allowed to call out enough to actually, like, get her mother's attention and save herself. She attempts to, like, run away one time and is, like, immediately, like, picked up by the back of the neck and, like, thrown back in the room and that's it. That's the only time she ever tries to escape. Mm -hmm. She keeps thinking about ways she can maybe escape Bill's house, but she doesn't actually do it. Her parents just show up. Also, like, the fact you said before, like, it's really convenient that Bill, like, wants to, like, seduce her and make it seem even a little consensual. He wants to court her. Those were his exact words. Yeah. I really like Fen. I think that she's sarcastic and, like, kind of grumpy, but she has, like, a, a nice heart. I like her, but I can't name a single thing that she does in this book besides get kidnapped. She runs away. Yeah, she runs away and gets kidnapped, <laughs> and that's it. The one action, the single action that she takes gets her kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Or the two actions, if you count running away as one action, because the other action is helping out Ruby in the store, and her nice action does not go unpunished. Yeah, she she she's kind of a nothing character. It's not even that she's a nothing character. She's just an inactive character. Well, yeah. She has character. She has traits. Mm -hmm. Like... I can definitely tell you things about Fen that I couldn't tell you about Matt Harkney or Kate Cameron. Oh, yeah. Or even Eric to a degree. Yeah. Partly because we get Fen's inner dialogue between all of her personalities. I don't know. That's my thought. I like Fen as a character. I just wish she did anything. 
I wish that she was a more active participant in her own rescue. Because Agreed. even the one she tries to hit Vince over the back with a golf club and is immediately thwarted. Yeah. That's all she does. She calls the police like she is told to. And then when she tries to disobey that, she gets thrown across the room or whatever. So I was also thinking back to Mountain Retreat murder. Because mm-hmm. at the end, Kate also gets kidnapped mm-hmm. very briefly. And she also like doesn't put up a fight. And again, it's just like, am I severely overestimating my abilities? Or are these bitches just like not putting up a fight? I, I feel like getting kidnapped isn't that easy. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, her actual kidnapping... I definitely understand. Like, she did try to fight back and she was overpowered by, like, four people. Oh, I'm thinking Kate specifically because they just literally just picked her up and tossed her over the shoulder. It was one guy. With a knife. Not even, like, a gun. The problem is that I honestly almost feel like Fen shouldn't have had her perspective shown because it doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. The only thing that it accomplishes is the misery porn. Where it's like, isn't this horrible that Fen is being being drugged, being put in like skimpy negligee and being photographed for her dark web virginity auction. She's being punched in the stomach and her hair pulled and she's being dragged across the country to meet with some random guy who, you know, in turn imprisons her in a way. And she's like just being constantly abused, even by the other victims of this kidnapping ring. I recently got into this like channel on YouTube, Crimson Rogue, and he does very long book reviews. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them are really bad. And so in The Mister by E.L. James. Fifty Shades? E.L. James? Yes. So this is her book after Fifty Shades. At one point in The Mister, the female lead gets kidnapped. So now we're seeing things from the point of view of the male lead, who is a billionaire. Keep that in mind. Mm. And so he's like, oh, my God, I need to go rescue the woman who I've known for like a month and I'm in love with and I want to marry. He knows that she's being taken to a different country. Can't remember which one at this moment. But before he goes, he stops and buys a wedding ring because he plans to propose to her once he rescues her. And then he buys like a first class ticket on a plane to the country she's in when he's a billionaire and has the funds to charter a private jet. Yeah. And then when he gets to the new country, he goes out for a drink, I believe not once, but twice he goes to a bar. This is like in Seinfeld when Elaine's boyfriend is is hit by a car. She's like been waiting for him in the movie theater. And she hears that. And before getting into a cab, she uh, orders some popcorn and Judy fruits to <laughs> eat the taxi on the way over. <laughs> Basically, I, I mentioned a lot to say that if the characters don't care about the stakes, how am I as the reader supposed to care? Mm-hmm. And so I agree where it's just like, I think this would have been better if Fen's point of view wasn't shown. Mm-hmm. Because of her like not playing an active role in her own rescue, it makes me kind of care less. Because I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, look how everything, I mean, like, yes, you got kidnapped and are being sex trafficked, but also all things considered, things aren't terrible for you right now. Like you're- It's kind of an ideal situation if you're yeah. in this situation. Yeah. And then also for her to just like only put up a fight once, maybe twice, her stakes don't seem as high as they could have been. As they actually are. Yes. 
And like she takes her own stakes seriously, but she doesn't do anything to to stop it. Yeah. Because she can't because the main characters have to do that. Yeah. And so that just like minimizes the intensity and the severity of the situation for me because she's not doing anything. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to care if it doesn't seem like you care? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think that Beth needs to show, not tell. She needs to make her characters more active and she needs to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's kind of my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to like, I mean, the epilogue is kind of enough. Yeah, let's epilogue. do our two second epilogue wrap up, yeah. which is while Fen, is, they go back to the hotel and while Fen is taking a shower, they have a conversation, and decide that they're going to get counseling, which good because Fen needs it too. <laughs> And they even say that. Yeah. And so then like three months later, they're at home and they hear like, hey, we arrested like the rest of the gang. And Fen, Ruby says, hi? Does she say thanks or does she just say hi? <laughs> I have a message for you from Ruby Haynes. She asked me to tell you hello and I'm sorry. Ruby is a key witness in the prosecution against DJ and everyone else. Oh, also, it really goes into some, like, PSA stuff here. Yeah. Where, like, the important thing is that Ruby and the other girls with Monroe and Yates are safe. The operation has been closed down. Emma exhaled audibly. That operation, but my research says there are still so many others around the world. It's heartbreaking and infuriating. The policeman pulled a grim face. That it is. But the work you and your husband are doing with the high schools is a good first step. Educating the public, teaching students awareness and prevention can only help. Emma flashed a lopsided smile. Everyone smiles in this book are lopsided. Smile straightly. <laughs> yeah, you fucking queers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As pro- <laughs> You know, it, it fits because her lopsided smile is because pride is swelling in yeah, her. There you go. One time baby, I this was born this way. The gay agenda. <laughs> All our Um, smiles are going to be lopsided. Anyway, (laughs) thank you. But Jake gets most of the credit for starting the STOP program, she said, referring to the sex trafficking opposition program she and Jake had initiated in local schools. I have a lot of questions about what this is, because unlike D.A.R.E., (laughs) D.A.R.E. I at least vaguely understand the point of, but really all D.A.R.E. did was teach me the names for drugs and what they do. Hell yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Knowledge is power. (laughs) But what lessons is Jake bringing to these schools? Remember, kids, don't get sex trafficked. Shit. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Turner. I wouldn't have thought about that had you not told me thank you for your service (laughs) (laughs) i have to assume matt is with him and he's like listen you need to hone your powers of observation and see when (laughs) someone's trying to sex traffic you it's just it's ridiculous like does he just go around and be like hey like here is what you should look out for people in vans people trying to get you close to their vans yep i don't know know. it just feels so stupid yeah but again it's just i don't know like maybe there are people who are that naive who need even these like very basic simple reminders i guess maybe i just watch a lot of forensic files in my formative years as well as doing taekwondo for a long time Mm -hmm. so my fight or flight instincts always fight i'm ready to throw hands at any time let's go baby (laughs) i mean like the only thing i can really think of is that sometimes 
there are like flyers that are for like jobs, non-specific jobs that are looking for teens. Mm. Like call this number and go to this location, bring friends. There was one time where I saw that in like the town where we live in. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not sure if this is like a sex trafficking thing, but I'm ripping this down regardless. Yeah. And that is the only thing that I can think of as being like a valuable thing to to maybe teach and look out for. I remember seeing something like that, too. And it was something weird, like selling knives or whatever. <laughs> and it's just it's one of those things where this was also like, when was I in high school? Probably like 2009, 2010. And they were offering like, I think, 15 to 16 dollars an hour, which especially back mm, then yeah. was like pretty good for a high schooler. I was making like seven. Yeah, I think I was making I think when I got a raise after minimum wage was raised, I was making like eight twenty five yeah. at one point. Same. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, imagine me, a teenager being like, damn, I could be making 15 to 16 dollars an hour. It's just like if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It's just an mm -hmm. effort to like lure people in, especially people who don't know any better. Exactly. So I don't, know. I don't know. Anyway, the rest of it is that Fen is doing great with counseling. Jake and Emma are working stuff out in counseling too. And Jake brings home a kitten that he found at work for the girls because they had been begging for a kitten for like years. Oh. The end. We did it. Speaking of kitten, my baby just walked in. Hi, honey. I'll Hi. play with you in just a little bit. I promise. He's restless. <laughs> All right. I can't believe we, we managed to stay on topic for like most of this and still wound up being like four hours. I know, it's crazy. There's just so much to talk about with this. So book. much nonsense. And yet Oak is still so, somehow going to find a way to take an hour and a half out of this. I don't know. He's a miracle worker. I know. The magic fingers. <laughs> All right. So, okay. I mean, steamy, dreamy, Mimi. Well, we got to do Smash or Pass. Oh, a Smash or Pass. All right. Well, Susan, mm -hmm. Smash or Pass, Jake Turner. Um, It's a pass. Maybe after therapy. But also, I don't know. Just he's a little too brash for me. He's also too much of a man. <laughs> I know that Claudia tries not to let that get in the way of her Smash or Pass rankings. But I'm going to say it. He's, <laughs> he's a pass mostly because he's a man, um, a lesbian. I'm <laughs> say like smash i guess yeah. i mean like based on the cover he's a good looking man yeah so nicole emma turner cameron smash or pass the same thing like smash i guess i'll give a soft smash yeah she has less of a character than jake but she still has a character and Agreed. you know i like what i see she sounds like kind of a milf free blog i mean yeah i mean that part where she dressed all sexy for the club mm -hmm. ug and how about a, a teenage smoocher pass here, Fen Turner? Trying to think. Back when I was a teen and mm. didn't know <laughs> that I also <laughs> liked girls. Yuji. <laughs> then not even even smoocher pass. <laughs> wanting to like be really good friends with her yeah. or pass. Or just like just kind of wanting to be around her all the time. Just like looking at her out of the corner of my eye all the time and being like, why do I keep <laughs> looking at you? Is it just because you're like really pretty or like <laughs> <laughs> You know, okay, I'm, like, just thinking about her, like, outside of the whole getting sex trafficked thing, where, yeah. like, she see, like, she's, like, you can tell she's a nice person. Like, she tried to help mm -hmm. out Ruby at the store and everything. So, I, w I would have probably wanted to smooch her. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Fen is, is queer, 
to. Maybe I'm projecting, but I do not see a future in which Fen grows up and is still straight. Yeah, I can see that. If I was body age 15 instead of just psychically 15, it would definitely be a smooch. Yuji! Oh, he's gonna fucking chew through the cord of my work monitor. I'll oh, fight no. you. You know, he, he's he's acting out because I haven't played with him yet. Let's move into rankings then. Nicole, uh, what do you give this book for steaminess? Uh, I give it a point four. I'm giving it a zero. There is no sexual intercourse in this book, and there is no sexual outer course in this book either. I'm just thinking about uh, Emma being dressed all sexy for the club. Yeah. No, I was like, you know what? She can get it. It's not good enough for me. Yeah. Oh, I, so I'm on AO3. I mean, same. I spend so much of my time on AO3. <laughs> All right. Susan, what do you give this for dreamy? I had to remember which one comes next. <laughs> I'm going to give it like a two and a half for okay. dreamy. I think it's pretty squarely in the middle. I think that Jake and Emma actually really talk about their relationship. And like, they definitely did have to make some sacrifices because they had Fen at the end of high school and the ways in which that's brought them together, but also like strained a lot of things for them. And I think that's really kind of cool and romantic to actually like have a real relationship. It didn't even really feel like a romance book relationship. It just felt like a relationship it was very real and i did appreciate that especially like we always say that we don't want to compare books to each other and everything but i mean this is sequel spring baby i'm gonna compare it to mountain retreat murder all i want of course that was a nothing romance there was no Mm -hmm. chemistry there literally nothing and then they got married at the end of it fucking (laughs) bonkers as hell and so this relationship had substance they had several problems that they had to work through and very realistic problems and both very realistic views and perspectives and so i i appreciated the realness i'm gonna give it like a 1.7 all that positive phrase to give it a 1.7 well, because it was so repetitive I know, I know. it's true <laughs> one it- of the things i really liked about their argument is like Emma's problem with Jake, like, sacrificing so much of their relationship and his relationship with his children to be at work isn't just that, like, he's putting work over family. It's that he's taking on all the strain of their business. It's a business that they both founded together. And she worked, like, as his assistant and secretary and bookkeeper for the first, like, multiple years of this business getting off the ground. And she's like, you don't let me in on our business anymore. And you're just, like, sacrificing yourself for nothing. You're going to work yourself into an early grave just like your father, you idiot. True. She even says that. He's like, my father worked himself to an early grave trying to provide his family. And she's like, oh, so you're going to do the same. I don't think I would necessarily consider this dreamy but it is something that i really liked where they're trying to collect the funds for the auction you know they're talking about money and then one of them says like like money is is just a thing yeah and so i mean this is and jake has struggled this entire time i mean and for good reason due to his childhood about money being so important because without money he can't support his family and everything because like obviously we like we we knew the whole time that he would put his daughter above anything but i think for him to like consciously be like money is just a thing 
I think was a very important thing for his character and the fact that, you know, Emma and the whole situation helped him realize that was a very good moment for his character. Yeah. But I wouldn't call it like, I wouldn't include that in the whole dreamy thing. It's just something I wanted to point out. Yeah, definitely. Nicole, what do you give this book for meaningness? Oh my god. I think I'll be a little more generous with this one. I'll give it like 2.1. I'm going to be way less generous, <gasps> even though there is a lot of stuff in here that I find to be meany, like they're talking about the dark web and stuff. But like the fact that this book is so grim and Fen suffers so much and I'm not going to put words in Beth Cornelison's mouth. She seems like a nice lady, but it, it almost feels like gleeful in how much of Fen's suffering they'll show and constantly like teasing that she's going to be raped, mm-hmm. you know? And that brings it down to like a point one. Oh. Like there's some funny stuff in this book, but the fact that it is so grim kills it. I, I can't recommend this book. Oh, God, no. Not even just because it's like, it's not a very good book, but because it's as brutal as it can be without being graphic. Yeah. And without actually seriously hurting our protagonist. So now, since it's sequel spring, mm. uh, I guess I liked this book more than Mountain Retreat Murder. Yeah. I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but I don't care for any kind of content that has like any kind of sex crimes and everything. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. I I will take, I think anything else above that, but it was definitely more, I mean, stakes were higher. The title didn't lie to me. It was easier to get through in the sense that something was always happening, even Mm -hmm. despite the bit of repetition in terms of um, Emma and Jake discussing their relationship. Yeah. It was a much easier read, but it was also a much more brutal read. Yes. I don't know. It's just, it just makes me tired. Like, I'm a big fan of Degrassi The Next Generation, a show in which a lot of bad things happen to teenagers in that show. But it doesn't do this drama just for the sake of drama. It Mm -hmm. does it because this stuff that real people go through and actually explores how it affects people and the ramifications and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because this is stuff that that people are dealing with. Like, in the opening of season seven, like, Darcy is, is like, sexually assaulted. And it's an entire, like, season-long arc for her. And it continues in at least dregs into, like, the rest of her time on the show. Mm -hmm. But here, it's like, Ben gets tortured for, like, a week. And then, like, a little bit of counseling and she's back to normal. That was another thing that I did not like was that, I mean, literally the day they rescue her and everything, like Jake's trying to joke around is like, oh, my God, you go take a shower, like go take a shower, stinky face. And it's like, sir, yeah, your daughter just got rescued after being sex trafficked and you're going to make a joke about her being a little stinky face like that. Also, she took a bath that morning. Just just saying, Jake. Yeah, it's like. I'm also, I'm just going to chalk that up to more evidence for her being plural. Someone else in the system has all of this. And in like 10 years, it's all going to come out in a flood. And it's going to be a disaster. Fen, subscribe to her YouTube channel. DM me. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Well, talk to a therapist about it. Talk to me about your system dynamics. (laughs) I don't want to hear the details. (laughs) there's like no lingering effect she's just like all right i've been rescued cool like that was fun let's not do it again Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's just like, you know, great that you're not like traumatized, but also it's just not realistic. It feels like an episode of a sitcom where it just goes back to the status quo at yeah. the end. It's like every, everything needs to be wrapped up in a cute 21 minutes. And they never talked about it ever again. Yeah, everything's cool. Everything's fine. And I'm sure in the next book, there will be like one or two throwaway lines of like when Fen was kidnapped last last summer. Oh, my God. You remember when Fen was kidnapped? Crazy, right? <laughs> Man, we made so many cookies. Oh my god, we ate so many cookies. <laughs> my god. Fen, you got to go to Florida. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Mickey Mouse? <laughs> the airport? <laughs> Do you think they went to Disney World just like while they were there? <laughs> They're in town. Well, but but Lexi wasn't there. Well, they don't have to tell Lexi. That's <laughs> um, true. I mean, her sister did get sex traffic. The least they could do is take her to Disney World. Where are they going to tell Lexi, like, one of these days? Yuji. Do you think they'll ever tell her? Like, when she's older? Or is this just going to be something that Fen just never talks about? I feel like it's one of those things that... I feel like it's one of the things that's going to be introduced to her as a cautionary tale. Like, hey, like this could happen to you. Not saying that it happened to anyone in your life, but it could happen. <laughs> but then eventually in the future, I feel like it's something that if anyone's going to tell her, it would have to be Fen. Yeah. And maybe she would at one point be like, hey, like, remember that time I like disappeared for a little while? Let me tell you what happened. It was not great. Or Matt is going to bring it up in a moment of tactlessness oh my god be like hey listen lexi i've observed you ask uh, acting a little <laughs> recklessly let me tell you why you shouldn't do that your sister got kidnapped and sex trafficked and that could happen to you oh my god if you don't stop acting like a little idiot four-year-old i was a huge part of the rescue team i did all the research i uh, actually flew down to florida myself and went into hand-to-hand -hand combat with the guy who kidnapped her it was really great i got a medal of honor uh, and that was after i used my powers of observation to hack into the dark web and uh find <laughs> you know where she has been where where she had been auctioned off to and then lexi's gonna be like wow thank you for your service uncle matt you're welcome no here's my boot lick it <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's enough of that i'm tired of this book i'm gonna erase it off yep. my ipad <laughs> <laughs> yep susan what are we reading for next time Next time, we're going to be reading Shipwrecked by Olivia Dade. Well, I won't be, uh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, Claudia will do her own homework this time, and she won't have to copy off her little sister. Thanks for listening. Susan, where can they find you? So, I don't have a Twitter. You can find my photography on Instagram at QZPOP, Q-U-S-I-E-P-O-P. -E I post a selection of like my best Polaroids on there. And uh, it's a passion that I enjoy sharing. So go follow that if you have interest in photography and want to make me happy. Yeah. You can find my sister Claudia, the normal host, at Punk Dyke on Twitter, P-U-N-K-D-Y-K-E. I can't believe that nobody had that app. Neither can I. <laughs> and you can find our editor, Oak Alexandrite, my, my brother, at Oak Alexandrite on Twitter, O-A-K-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-I-T-E. He makes it very easy. Yeah. What are you drawing on? Nicole, where, the, where can they find you and maybe your cat? Oh my god, well you can find my cat in the dumpster, which is where he's going <laughs> after chewing on all my wires this whole time. Oh, he almost knocked over my TV. Yuji, <laughs> stop. You can find Nicole at Sexy Pagliacci. <laughs> C-X-Y-P-A-G-L-I-A-C-C-I. -C -C -I. That's the sexy clown. 
sad clown. <laughs> the sexy sad clown. Uh, oh, could you leave that in there? I want people to know that I couldn't say my own thing because my rat was being a bastard. <laughs> uh, oh my god! <laughs> and you can find the show. <laughs> you can find the show uh, on Twitter at the Three LW Podcast. Uh, you can find that on Patreon as well. They help make these episodes possible. And we cherish their support. And if you want to support us and get shouted out at the end of the episode, go to our Patreon and, and subscribe. Also, make sure you rate us on your podcast catcher of choice. If we get some five-star reviews, we'll, we'll read those out on the podcast. That is the promise I'm making on Claudia's behalf. I'll yes. hold her to it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by our patrons June B, The Evergreen Collective, and Coralie, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.